0: And now for something completely different.
1: This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
2: Let's do it.
3: Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With it till 3 on this Wednesday as we help you get over the hump and towards the weekend with plenty to do over the next few hours. Coming up, are the Atlanta Braves ever going to lose again? Plus, Clemson has their new baseball coach. Deshaun Watson spoke to the media yesterday for the first time in three months. We'll get to some of that audio. Why the Carolina Panthers need to stop playing this game of chicken. Plus, we get ready for the Live Golf Tour, the PGA Tour to collide this weekend. We'll talk off with Jeremy Schilling an hour from now. Dark horse candidates in college football. Plus, how do you get dressed in the morning and a whole lot more over the next few hours. With it till 3 on this Wednesday, you can join the conversation throughout... 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show. 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. On Facebook at ESPN Charleston. Via email studio at Broadcasting.com. or online at CharlestonSportsRadio.com Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Moro midday show with you wherever you go by simply streaming us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till 3, Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you?
4: Luke, I'm doing phenomenal. We got uh, the NHL Stanley Cup game one tonight. Here we go. It's absolutely phenomenal. Who's going to win Lord Stanley's Cup? I'm incredibly excited to see. I uh, finished up Peaky Blinders last night. It was absolutely (laughs) phenomenal. Are you kidding me? And I can't wait till the movie releases. I'm feeling good. It's a beautiful Wednesday here in the Lowcountry. It's hot as all get out, but we're here. We're ready to go on the morrow Midday Show.
3: Absolutely. Were any tears shed last night? No tears were shed,
4: oh, I, but, you know, Luke, when you're sitting there, like it's like watching Marley and me, and, you, and your eyes get a little watery. You know what I'm saying? Any dog movies I always get a little watery. But, yeah, you know, tears could have flown, but I don't know if I was in the correct state of mind to uh, have some tears. Actually, I wasn't too emotional last night. I could have been, but I wasn't too emotional.
3: Okay, so now we wait on the movie, right? That's the next step? We
4: wait on the movie, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's the uh, the next step. All right. Is
3: it going to be a while, or do they already have it like made and waiting to release
4: it? Definitely going to be a while. Definitely oh, okay. going to be a while. It's going to be like Ozark when season three yeah. ended, and we waited you know, two and a half, three years until oh. the next season comes out. But I'm feeling good, Luke. Glad to be here with you, sir.
3: See, that's the problem with these streaming shows. That's what I always say. At least when you used to watch TV, like you used to watch Seinfeld every Thursday night, it would suck to have to wait each week for the new episode. Right. But it would take you, you know, whatever, seven months to get through it, Maybe even more. Then you just have to wait till the summer. You get through the summer reruns. You're busy in the summer anyways, and then it's just back on in September anyways. Boom. Now with the streaming shows, you bit, you go through them in one weekend, and it's like, all right, now what? Now I got to wait 18 months for the new series, the next season. So That's a bit of a pain. You it's a crime. Burn through them, and yeah. then you know they can't keep up. They can't produce the shows <laughs> as fast as we watch them. So then you got to wait. We'll see what happens. People are waiting for that Sopranos movie for years, and then. James Gandolfini passed away and they came out with it finally a year ago and it was a prequel so for all you Peaky Blinder fans we'll see when we get that movie and maybe I'll at some point dive into the show let me start with this let's talk a little baseball to begin this Wednesday Stanley Cup begins tonight NBA finals resume tomorrow night we don't do a whole lot of major league baseball this time of year because it's June 15th it's a long season last year At this time, the Braves were five games under 500. They were in third place. They were eight games behind the Mets. Who won the World Series? The Braves. Who finished in third place? The Mets. So I don't really pay a whole ton of We're not going to break down game by game in June. There's a lot of baseball season left to be played. But the Atlanta Braves have won 13 straight games. Longest winning streak for them in over 20 years. Beat up on the Nationals again last night. Offense is hot. Leading the league in home runs during this stretch. Team ERA is good. Everybody's clicking. Braves are playing good baseball. Looks like that team that got hot in October last year on the way to the World Series. I don't want to be a wet blanket, but I still have questions about the Braves team. I'm still curious about which direction they'll go. Now, I do believe Atlanta will hang around in the NL East. I think this will be an interesting summer. They've already closed the gap with the Mets. The Mets are one of those teams they're always hard to trust, and I think things could tighten up even more. In the National League East, we could be in for an interesting summer. But with the Braves winning 13 straight, I don't know how much I can take away from this streak. Now, look, it's hard to win night in and night out. It's not to take everything or anything away from this winning streak. Even when you play bad teams, you still got to go out there, execute and beat them. And good teams beat the teams they're supposed to. That's what the Braves are doing. But 13 straight wins, all 13 have come against teams with losing records. They haven't beaten a good team during this winning streak. They should beat the Nationals today. But the real test will be next week when you welcome in the Giants, the Dodgers, and then even the Phillies who are playing better baseball. And that will be a real sign of what we have with this Braves team. They started off the season terribly. Now they've gotten hot. They've done it against a weak part of their schedule, which, hey, good on them. Take advantage of the bad teams when you get to play them. Build a winning streak. Build some confidence. Sometimes that's all it takes. Guys are hitting better now. Obviously, they didn't have Acuna early in the year. Now I'll... uh, albies was injured but for the braves 13 straight wins against 13 teams under 500 i still have questions this year they're under 500 against teams with winning records if you want to compare that to the mets who are in first place the mets this year are the best team in the league against teams with winning records 24 and 14 they have twice as many of those wins against the Bra- uh, as a pair, as compared to the braves they have played uh, 12 more games against teams with winning records than the braves the Braves are under 500 against teams with winning records. They're 24 and 13 against losing teams. That's who they've dominated this year. So they still, even with 13 straight wins, need to show me something. They'll have a chance to show it to me next week. They are playing better now than early in the year. They are the defending World Series champs. I expect them to be competing with the Mets for that division until the end of the season. But when I look at these two teams right now, The Mets have one of the best records in baseball. They're doing it without their two aces. They've had some injuries in the lineup, and they're beating good teams along the way. When I look at the Braves, a little more hollow on the record. They've beaten up on a bunch of bad teams. By the way, over the past five weeks, best records in baseball, in order, Yankees, Red Sox, Braves, Mets, the four biggest brands in the Northeast, leading the way over the past five weeks in Major League Baseball, best records in baseball. The AL East is similar. The Yankees uh, and the Red Sox have also taken advantage of some easy stretches on their schedule. Things are going to get a little bit harder for them this summer. The Mets and the Braves. The Braves have taken uh, taken advantage of an easier part of their schedule. The Mets, meanwhile, have been beating some good teams, doing it without their best pitchers. So the Mets should still be pretty pleased being in first place with about a five-game lead over Atlanta. The Braves are surging back. They've won 13 in a row. I don't know if they're going to lose again. But we'll get a real answer on this Atlanta Braves team what we have here. Next week, when they play three good teams, albeit at home next week, in a big test. Right against the Giants, the Dodgers, the Phillies, that's where things will really get interesting. Not in beating the Rockies and the Nationals and the, whoever else, the Pirates, whoever else they've been playing in this winning streak, a bunch of lousy teams. We'll see what they can do against some of the other good teams of the National League starting next week. Let me shift to the Speaking of baseball, Clemson has their new coach, Eric Backage, the coach from Michigan. Looks like he's going to be hired and introduced as the head baseball coach of Clemson today. I think there are a couple of reasons why. Number one, money. Money talks. Ask the live golfers. Right, Backage is uh, reportedly being offered more than a million dollars. Pretty good payday. Number two reason, potentially, maybe because his first coaching job was with Clemson. He was the volunteer assistant 20 years ago. It was his first job coaching college baseball. He also played uh, in uh, North Carolina, so you know he played some of his college ball not far. But the third reason why, maybe even more important than the other two, is because he has a chance now to come south. The SEC has taken over college baseball. It could be the first conference in 50 years to have a team in the national title game four straight years. This year, when you look at the playoff field in college baseball, the SEC had the most teams in the field with nine, tied with the ACC, also at nine. So the ACC and the SEC had 18 playoff teams. The talent is here in the southeast portion of the country. Now, Backage did a really good job at Michigan. He's regarded as one of the better coaches in the country. He seems like a great hire for Clemson. And he got Michigan to the 2019 national title game. I remember talking about it at the time. They lost to Vanderbilt, though. Vanderbilt, a southern school, right out of the SEC. And it was the first title game appearance for Michigan that they've had. Not even when Barry Larkin was there could they make it to the national championship. However, since that 2019 appearance, they're barely over 500 cents. They had that great year, made the run to the national title. It's been hard to try to duplicate that success. This year, they finished fifth in the Big Ten, had an ERA over seven. Speaking of the Big Ten, this year, they managed only two tournament teams. And only one of them was at-large. The other was Michigan because they surprised a lot of people and won their conference tournament. So they got a bid into the tournament this year. Iowa had a good year, won almost 40 games. They were left out. Rutgers set a record for most wins, also scored the most runs in the country, left out of the tournament. The Big Ten has not had a national champion since Ohio State in 1966. The only other team that we could say, maybe, cold area, I don't know, Wichita, Kansas. How cold does it get there? Wichita State is the only other team that maybe you could say comes from a colder climate and has won a baseball national championship since 1966, and they did it in the 80s. So certainly nobody has done it in over 30 years, and maybe one, maybe half a team, we give them half credit, half a team has come from a colder climate to win a championship in college baseball over the past 55 years. It doesn't happen. Despite 80% of college baseball teams playing north of the Mason-Dixon line, 0% of the championships are actually won by those teams. Half of the final eight teams this year in college baseball are from one division in the SEC. The best team in college baseball this year, Tennessee, won't be there in the final eight. But they, too, are from the SEC. College baseball is all about the southern teams and the west coast teams. It's not about the north or northeast. How often do you see those teams competing for national championships? UConn got close to making it to the final eight this year. They uh, came up a little bit short. It would have been their first time ever, or first time since the 70s. Those teams have to spend half of the year in the South, first half of the year. They start on the longest road trip in baseball. They can't practice outdoors for half of the year. You're practicing in indoor facilities, not on your actual field that you'll be playing games on. Southern teams get more fans at the game, therefore making more money. Michigan, this past baseball season, played only 23 of their 62 games at home. About a third of their season at home, two-thirds on the road. We saw Mario Cristobal leave Oregon to come back to the south to coach college football. Brian Kelly left up north to come down south to coach college football. We know the best football is in the warm, warmer climates as well. Certainly this part of the country. And same idea with baseball. 90% of the teams to reach the College World Series over the years are from 14 states. All 14 states are either on the west coast or the southeast part of the uh, of the country, or southern part, right, include Texas. So you could draw a border from the west swinging all the way around towards us here on this side of the uh, country. Those are your, your states that produce 90% of the teams that make it to the College World Series. The talent is in the south. The better teams are in the south. The SEC has become the best conference in college baseball but the ACC, they're pretty good too, right? This state has a high expectation for college baseball for a reason. So Backage, yeah, they threw a lot of money at him. That's pretty good. Gets to return to Clemson where he spent one year. I don't know how important that is to him. But also gets to come down and work in the South. The sport is controlled by just a handful of states. If you want to win, you've got to be in one of those states. He now is. South Carolina is one of those states. We've seen the Gamecocks do it not long ago. You have to be in a warm climate to win in college baseball. He now is leading Clemson. Looks like a good hire for the Tigers. Which takes me to this, right? The difference between Clemson and South Carolina because I know a lot of Gamecock fans are very unhappy with their baseball program. They probably see this move from Clemson throwing over a million dollars at one of the uh, what's regarded one of the better coaches in the country thinking, "Why can't we do that? Why are we sticking with Mark Kingston?" Well, of course, it comes down to money. Clemson can afford to offer him over a million dollars because they haven't had to pay a buyout for one of their other coaches in quite some time south carolina meanwhile has still like a 13 million dollar price tag on will muschamp they're now paying frank martin and if you move on from mark kingston you're gonna have to pay his buyout as well can't do it for clemson their football coach has been their football coach for about 15 years their basketball coach has been their basketball coach for about 12 years and they finally made a change in baseball after seven years they got some money stored up to be able to throw it at a good coach that's the difference when you fail in other areas, it's going to catch up to you, unfortunately. If you work for a company that is largely dependent on sales, you may not have anything to do with sales. It could still impact how much money you make depending on how well the sales team does, how much money they're bringing in. It has nothing to do with you. Right? Another portion of the company may not be holding up their end of the bargain. It affects you. For South Carolina, when the football coach, basketball coach isn't good enough, you have to fire them, pay the buyout. Well, that affects what you can do with the baseball program. You only have so much money in the bank that you can use. For Clemson, say what you want about Brad Brunel, but he's at least been successful enough to keep his job. And so from the money saved with the football program, with the basketball program, not having to change coaches, pay buyouts, they can afford to spend some money on the baseball program. And right now Clemson has a leg up. They get a head start on South Carolina with these two trying to turn around their programs. Which takes me to this. Landon Powell who just won a national championship at North Greenville. He was the name I said a couple of weeks ago, right, that if South Carolina were to make a move, Landon's got to be the guy you, you turn to. Then he followed up winning a national championship at North Greenville, the Division II national title. Here he was on the fan upstate talking about his interest in one day becoming the head coach of his alma mater, South Carolina.
5: Yeah, it's interesting. You know, obviously I'm, I'm I'm a person that's very happy where my feet are, and I always want to try to be that way. So I love North Greenville. I love these players. I poured a lot into this place the last seven years, and um, I, I'm sitting here today hugging players goodbye for the summer and talking about our plans for next year and, you know, really excited to see these guys show back up in August. Um, but uh, So it's hard to think about not being here. Um, at the same time, I've always had a consistent position. It's never been a secret the one school that I would leave North Korea for would be my alma mater. You know, I, I'm a Gamecock, I believe, darn it. Uh, you know, I, I, spent four years there, um, that, that university shaped me as a person I accomplished with along with my teammates and my coaches, we accomplished some great things. We broke the door down for coach Tanner and got him to Omaha for the first time played for a national championship, won sec championships. We did some cool stuff. Um, when I graduated to South Carolina, I've been part of more wins in a Gamecock uniform than any athlete in school history. And I'm proud of that. And so if I ever had the opportunity to go back there and and coach there and make an impact on that university and pay forward what that university did for me, I would do it in a heartbeat. Like just, I've, I've always said that. Um, But I'm not chasing that to be clear, Mark. Like I'm not, you know, I'm not chasing that. I'm not pursuing that, that opportunity. If it ever comes my way, it'll just, it'll come my way. Like I'm, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I'm a, I'm am I'm, I'm a man of faith. I believe God has a plan. And whenever, you know, if that's a door that he wants to open for me, then he'll open it. If he doesn't, I'm going to be happy where my feet are. I'm going to make an impact wherever I'm at. Um, I'm a, i am also want to make it clear that I, I, I'm, I have Mark Kingston's back. I, I fully support him as the coach of that program. I believe in him. Um, I think that he can turn it around I know that he's been bit by the injury bug some here in the last couple of years. You know, I want that program back to the excellence that it was. My teammates and, and guys that I played with, we all want nothing but success for that program. And and, and therefore, like Mark Kingston is the guy that we have, you know, we, we need him to turn it around. And I believe he will. And I hope he will. So um, that's my answer to that. And I, I mean that wholeheartedly. Like, you know, I, I hope he turns it around and goes and wins four or five national championships the next 10 years, and then maybe he retires and rides off in the sunset, and then maybe then that's my time. Um, Or maybe I never get a call to go back to Columbia, and that's okay too. Um, But that is the one place that I would leave North Greenville to go.
3: Landon Powell talking about his alma mater. The Gamecocks are the one school he'd be willing to leave North Greenville to go coach. The good news is, as he said, right, he'll be waiting around. He'll be waiting for that call whenever it may come. If he stays true to his word and he's not leaving North Greenville unless it's for the Gamecocks, then he'll be there waiting for you until one day you get that Dear John letter and he's moved on to somebody else because you were just taking too long. But Landon Powell, I think, would be the guy that could turn around the Gamecocks and get that program back where you want it to be. And he could also be like Mike Young. I remember saying at the time, if you're Clemson, this is the time to make a change with the basketball program. Mike Young's in the backyard. He's going to get scooped up by somebody else if you wait too long. He is the guy. And I think he's doing a pretty good job at Virginia Tech. And I think the outlook for Virginia Tech looks better than Clemson right now in basketball, and you let him get away. Same idea for South Carolina. Can't make a move this year because of financial reasons? Okay, just make sure you don't allow Landon Powell to get away. He's done an incredible job at North Greenville. I think he could do a good job in a program uh, in the SEC as well. It reminds me a little bit of, like, the 1960 New York Giants, New York football Giants. Let's go way back. The Giants had Vince Lombardi as their offensive coordinator. They had Tom Landry as their defensive coordinator. What an incredible coaching staff. But they had no idea what they had. And they let Vince Lombardi go become the head coach of the Packers. I think he did okay. And they let Tom Landry go become the head coach of the Cowboys. I think he did all right. I think I've heard that name before. And the Giants instead hired Allie Sherman, who never won a playoff game with the Giants. And obviously far less successful than Lombardi and Tom Landry. And my point being, right? don't let the good talent slip away. The New York Giants had Lombardi and Landry on their staff. They had to hire a new coach, and they said, nah, we don't want either one of these guys. They can go on to other teams. And they brought in Allie Sherman. Did not work out great for the Giants in the 60s. Clemson had Mike Young in the backyard getting ready to be scooped up by a bigger program. They said, nah, we're we're good. We're fine. I think Mike Young will do better things at Virginia Tech than whatever Clemson accomplishes in the meantime. And for South Carolina, I get it. Hands are tied financially. But if you were to let Landon Powell slip away, I think that'd be someone similar. He's right there in the backyard. He played there. That's the one school he says he wants to coach at. He tried to get an assistant job with you a year ago. Don't let him eventually get away either. I think Clemson made a good hire on paper. You never know how these things are going to work out. But on paper, it seems like they brought in a good coach with Eric Backage today. And for South Carolina, if they want to make some sort of move eventually to try to turn around their program, I still think Landon Powell will be the guy. Don't let Vince Lombardi and Tom Landry out your building. Uh, Don't let uh, Mike Young out of your backyard or Landon Powell either. Coming up, Deshaun Watson spoke to the media yesterday for the first time in three months and, of course, was peppered with questions not about reading his zone defense but instead his uh, off-the-field issues. We'll get to that audio when we come back. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.
1: Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
3: Coming up, Deshaun Watson spoke with the media for the first time in three months. We'll get to some of his responses yesterday as Browns mini camp began. Open the show, talking some baseball. The Atlanta Braves on this 13-game winning streak. And I remember, uh, like the Oakland A's, 20 years ago, won 20 straight, and uh, and then still didn't do anything that year. And they set a record for like the longest winning streak. It is remarkable when you can, baseball can be so tough, as they say, your momentum is only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. You win 13 straight. I don't care who you're playing. It's impressive. But my questions are still, is this the Braves coming around to the October version of a year ago, or is this beating up on a bunch of bad teams? I think we get the answer next week when they take on the uh, uh, Giants, Dodgers, and then Phillies as well. Just like the Yankees begin a stretch here of two straight weeks against teams with winning records for the first time. Started off with a win yesterday. And this is when you find out how good these teams truly are. The Yankees right now, the Braves next week. We'll get a real sense. Clemson hired their new baseball coach. Talked about that. But Deshaun Watson yesterday spoke with the media for the first time in quite some time and, of course, was peppered with questions about his uh, legal situation. Let's get through some of these clips. I'll give you any sort of takeaways from what Deshaun had to say yesterday. Uh, Beginning with uh, just a general statement, essentially, from uh, Deshaun when he was first asked about these allegations against him by uh, now all these women, the uh, 26 lawsuits. Here's what Deshaun had to say yesterday.
2: I never assaulted anyone, or I never harassed anyone, or I never disrespected anyone, or I never forced anyone to do anything. I've been honest and I've been truthful about my stance, um, and that's, you know, I never forced anyone, I never assaulted anyone. So um, that's what, you know, I've I've been saying it from the beginning, and I'm going to continue to do that and, and until all the facts come out on the legal side. I have to continue to just, you know, Go with the process for my legal team and, and, um, you know, the court of law.
3: That was Deshaun Watson yesterday. pretty uh, open and shut case there, at least from him. Still denying everything, leaving no wiggle room. My follow-up, if I was there, would be, how come you sent a text message to the one therapist apologizing if you felt like you've never done anything wrong? But nonetheless, another clip from Deshaun yesterday was, um, this was uh, him talking about uh, the idea of, you know, like clearing his name his reputation. Here's more of what Deshaun had to say yesterday.
2: I go each and every day focusing on my tasks and being the best person I can be. I can't control what, you know, the other side is is doing with the legal process, but um, like I said before, I just got to continue to just focus on being the best Deshaun Watson I can be for this organization.
3: More from Deshaun yesterday. Somebody asked him about the uh, New York Times report that we discussed on the show last week uh, where they detailed meetings with 66 different massage therapist, quote-unquote, over a 17-month period. Deshaun was asked about that. Here's what he had to say in regards to that question yesterday. Does
2: that number 66 seem right to you? Um, I mean, I can it I, I don't think so uh, for what me and my attorneys went through. But at the same time, you know, that's, a, that's more of a, a legal question that I can't really get into details about. Um, so you'll probably have to ask my attorneys and things like that to confirm. Um,
3: not really a firm answer i would know if i met with 66 massage therapists over 17 months or not instead of saying hey you have to ask my legal folks i would say no i did. right if it didn't happen no of course that's crazy 66 why would i do that and if you have to think about it that means it's a high number maybe it's not 66 but it's really 55 right but if it's only 20 and they're claiming 66 you know you didn't meet with 66 massage therapists over 17 months You come out and say, no, that's a ridiculous number. Why would I ever do that? Instead of, "Uh, I don't think so. You'd have to ask my lawyers. Mm. The non-answer is kind of an answer. Here was the Sean Watson when asked about if he had any sort of regrets uh, from the past few months. Here's what he had to say yesterday.
2: Uh, I think, yeah, I think that question uh, kind of, you know, triggered a lot of people. Not just women in general, but a lot of people from this, you know, in the league from women to, to males and things like that. And what I was saying is, yes, I, I never assaulted, disrespected, or harassed anyone. But at the same time, I do understand that uh, I do have regrets as far as the impact that that is have on the community and people outside of just myself. You know, and that includes my family. That includes this organization. That includes my teammates in this locker room that have to answer to these questions. That includes, you know, the fan base of the Cleveland Browns. That includes males, females, everyone across the, the world, you know. So uh, that's one thing I do regret is the impact that has triggered on so many people. And, um, yeah, it's, it's tough to, to have to, you know, do it.
3: I've listened to that clip a couple of times. I honestly I don't really get what he's saying in that one. It's almost like a passive-aggressive apology, almost like I'm sorry you feel that way. I don't think I did anything wrong. I'm sorry you feel like that way. I don't really get what he's saying about his, what, putting his teammates in a bad spot and women being triggered, and the, I guess just because of the accusations, uh, he's um, he regrets just having this situation come about, and his teammates having to answer questions, and women out there that have gone through something similar having to hear about it. I don't, I don't really know. I will say in that clip, he reiterates that he never disrespected or harassed somebody. See, that's a tricky one. Now, Deshaun may very well feel that way, but a woman could feel differently. Just like you in your own life may feel like, I never disrespected or harassed a woman, but maybe there was some time in your life where right, the woman on the other side feels a little bit different, and it was just what you thought was a harmless comment. So that one's a little tricky, and that's kind of the tricky part in cases like this, where one side may see it a certain way, and the other side, because it's almost about in some cases, it's almost about uh, feelings. So you may feel a certain way about how things went down, and the other person may feel a little bit different. Like they were coerced into something, or they were forced to do something, or they were, you know, they did something against their will. And you may not have that same perspective because you're not really in their shoes or in their body. So that's a tricky one when you say I've never disrespected or harassed somebody. I'm sure Deshaun feels that way, but by saying that, and I'm sure this is from the, uh, you know, this is the legal advice from his team and maybe even PR from the Browns to to say certain buzzwords and phrases. But you leave really no wiggle room in a statement like that. When you could say something along the lines of, show a little more remorse, where you say, um, I never meant to do anything. Seeing as disrespect, I'm sorry if somebody took it that way. I don't believe I did anything wrong. Something more like that instead of, no, I never disrespected, harassed anybody. I, I haven't done anything wrong. And I think that's what has also annoyed some of the women, as well as more have come out the longer this has gone on. Here's the last clip from Deshaun in the press conference yesterday. Um, asked about uh, working with the NFL in their investigation as we still wait for some sort of announcement from Goodell in the NFL. Here's what uh, Deshaun said yesterday.
2: Met with the, the NFL a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I did everything they asked me to do. I answered every question truthfully uh, that that the NFL asked me. Um, I spent hours with those with those with the people that they brought down, and that's all I can do is just tell them and be honest and, and tell them exactly what happened. And they, I know they have a job, and so I have to respect that. And that's what we wanted to do is cooperate. And you know they have to make a decision best for the uh, the lead. You know so. Yeah, I think that's
3: an important phrase there said at the end. Make a decision, a decision that's best for the league. That's what this all comes down to. That's the crux of this from the NFL. What's best for the league? That's why I've been saying for weeks that I, I don't like the idea. If I'm Roger Goodell, I do not like the idea of opening up the paper or turning on ESPN and right, videos of Deshaun being out on the field. I think that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. I don't think it's a good look optically for the NFL. And the season begins, right? We still have about three months. So why not have him sit aside and buy yourself a little bit more time until the start of the season and make a decision? You could tell me, well, it's not very fair for the Browns to not have their starting quarterback. Okay, well, then maybe they shouldn't have brought in somebody with 22 open lawsuits against them when they signed him or traded for him and gave him that huge contract. All right, This is kind of the risk you were running. So you're going to miss all the offseason right, if he's cleared. If the NFL is able to clear his name by the start of the season, say, okay, you can go play week one. But I do not like the idea of him uh, going through the training camp and practices and still waiting on some sort of answer. But as Deshaun said, they have to make a decision that's best for the league. That's the important part. Look, Ben Roethlisberger got suspended. He did not get in trouble with the law. But he put himself in a bad spot, made the league look bad. A story about him out at a bar with a girl in a bathroom and he's a married man and his wife's at home. It's like, yeah, you know, this wasn't a good look. You're not know, making the NFL look good. Ezekiel Elliott got suspended, did not get in trouble with the law, but there's a video of him pulling down women's tops at Mardi Gras. And Roger Goodell looked at that and said, yeah, you know what, you're not really making us look good. There's video of you out at a parade pulling women's clothes off. They suspended Ezekiel Elliott. There's a couple of other, other things as well. They suspended Adrian Peterson for a whole year. Didn't get in trouble with the law, but, you know, he disciplined his kid with a switch. Roger Goodell said, yeah, this is not a good look for us. I don't want one of my employees making headlines like this. And that's why I've been so uh, perplexed with the Deshaun case that those other examples I just gave you, they didn't, get in tr- they didn't have any criminal charges. They didn't get arrested. They didn't spend time in jail. None of that. There weren't even 24 lawsuits, but they did something that made the NFL look bad. It's the player conduct uh, part of the CBA. You don't need to get in trouble with the law in order to get in trouble with your employer when it comes to the NFL. You just make them look bad, they're going to punish you for doing so. And regardless of how you feel about Deshaun, you may think Deshaun did nothing illegal. We don't know. Maybe he didn't. Right, But when you got a girlfriend at home and you're going out to meet with 66 different massage therapists that you meet on Instagram, and even if it was all consensual, going out to search for happy endings or to try to have consensual sex with these random women on Instagram, how many other quarterbacks have we heard stories about this in the league? Which has been my point all along. I don't care if he did anything legal or illegal at this point when it comes to the NFL. If I'm Roger Goodell, I'm not waiting to see what happens is he gonna be punished by is he gonna lose these lawsuits i don't care he's made you look bad this has been the number one story this off season. and even if it was all consensual right going around dming women on instagram to come over massage you and like hook up with you 66 different women in 17 months look we can all have different opinions about what you do in your personal life i'm not even some sort of prude but if i'm roger goodell i'm thinking this is my one of my young star quarterbacks going out and doing this a lot of people are upset it doesn't really make us look good and there should be some sort of punishment for that. Just like Ben Roethlisberger, Adrian Peterson, Ezekiel Elliott, these were guys that did things that maybe ethically were deemed incorrect and got punished. And I think there's enough people out there to believe what Deshaun Watson has done ethically right, is enough to also get punished. And I'll say this once again. I've repeated it a couple times. right? You can always give out a harder discipline and peel it back. It's always easier to take away punishment than add on punishment. And you still have three months till the start of the season. So if I'm Goodell, I'm saying, all right, that's it. Step aside. Hopefully we get some more clarity over the next three months. And even if Deshaun were to miss some games this year, and then it turns out, like, actually, he's cleared of any wrongdoing. Well, as I just laid out, I still don't think he put himself in a great position. If you put yourself in a position to be sued by 24 different women, you're probably not making the smartest decisions. And in the NFL, that's all it takes to get punished. Ben Roethlisberger, we don't know if he did something illegally wrong or not, but he made a dumb decision. Adrian Peterson probably made a dumb decision. Ezekiel Elliott pulling down women's tops, probably a dumb decision. And they got punished for it. Deshaun, whether it's all consensual and legal, probably made a dumb decision to be DMing strangers and reportedly flying them in to get massages and hook up with them. And 66 women in 17 months, Charlie Sheen got fired from two and a half men for doing something similar. Probably making a bad decision whether you did something illegal or not. I don't know if that's what you want one of your employees doing to represent your organization. But we'll continue to wait on what the NFL determines. Deshaun Watson speaking to the media for the first time yesterday in quite a while. When we come back, along those lines, Baker Mayfield, meanwhile, is still sitting in the backdrop waiting for whatever is going to happen. Uh, When we come back, I'm going to combine two things. Number one, it's time for the Panthers and even the Browns to stop playing some sort of game of chicken. And number two, we'll get to... One of the worst takes of the week that I've heard. And I'll combine the two when we come back. It's the more Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
6: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
1: On the Morrow Midday Show.
6: With the, bird and shed is the long-
3: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, the Panthers and Browns should just stop playing some sort of game of chicken with Baker Mayfield, and I'll tie it to some comments made in regards to the NBA Finals the other night, which I thought was really a pretty awful take. In fact, let's do that first. Here was Brian Windhorst. He went on SportsCenter with Scott Van Pelt after the Warriors win the other night. In Game 5 of the NBA Finals, I missed this. I saw this clip on the interwebs yesterday and uh, did not agree. Here was what Winhorse said after the Warriors won Game 5 the other night.
7: Andrew Wiggins, he's not an underdog. He makes $32 million. While the Warriors were down these last couple of years winning no games, they kept spending money because they've got it. They re-signed Draymond Green. They re-signed Steph Curry. They re-signed Kevon Looney. They kept Andrew Wiggins. And boy, did it show up tonight. Andrew Wiggins, with the supreme moment in his career, he was a throw-in in and a trade. Other teams would have totally gotten rid of him. They stuck with him. They have a $340 million payroll when you consider taxes. You don't just have to beat the Warriors on the court. You've got to beat their checkbook. And Nothing away from Andrew Wiggins tonight, but this was a checkbook win for the Warriors.
3: Win horse after Game 5. Quite frankly, that's a garbage take. That's one of the worst things I've heard this week, a checkbook win. Did you watch the game? The Celtics were garbage for most of that game, just like that opinion. And the Warriors were the better team. A checkbook win. They, all these guys were drafted. If you want to talk about like the Miami Heat with LeBron James being a checkbook win for going out and getting Bosh and LeBron, that I could understand. Or even when the Warriors got Durant. I would still disagree with you, but at least you'd have a better case to make. When they got Kevin Durant and said, oh, it's hard to keep up with them. They're just buying a bunch of talent. This isn't the 90s New York Yankees. Right, for the Yankees, sure. Those World Series in the 90s, what is all all baseball fans, unless you're a Yankee fan, the Yankees bought their World Series. They went out and they got Knobloch, and they got Paul O'Neill, and they got Scott Brocious, and they got uh, uh, Cone and Clemens and Wells, and I could go on and on. They had their core four. The rest of the team was bought. That is a checkbook win. The Warriors, they drafted this team. And Andrew Wiggins, suddenly now we're going to say, well, come on. I mean, they're paying. This is unfair. A $32 million player, Andrew Wiggins. As Horse says in that clip, he was uh, he was like a throw-in. He was, uh, he was a project. Anybody else could have traded for him. They didn't. The Warriors did. It's a credit to Golden State for their development. They drafted Clay, Draymond, Poole, Curry. They've developed Wiggins now into the player we thought he was going to be. And just because they're making a lot of money, yeah, they're making a lot of money to keep him there. Just like other teams can. Just like the Pelicans are going to spend a lot of money to keep Zion Williamson with them. You have the – just like uh, the Bucks spent a lot of money to keep Giannis and the Nuggets with Jokic and the Mavs will with Luka, you have the top priority, right? You can get more money from the team if you stay with them than if you become a free agent. That's what the NBA has done with their salary cap to try to keep Stars from leaving. But a checkbook win, that's garbage. That's just trying to write off what the Warriors have done. They're a better team than the Celtics. It's as simple as that. They played better. They played better in Game 5. They played better in the series. They're the better team. I think they're better coached. I think they executed better in the important moments. They have more playoff experience. I think they have a better player. Their star is better than the Celtics' star. I think the Celtics tried to go small in Game 5, and it burned them for a large portion of that game. So I thought the X's and O's, the Warriors, were better. I I don't watch that game and think, well, this is just because the Warriors have a higher team salary. I think that's a ridiculous take. And by the way, my theory would be, We've seen Adam Schefter really step in it over the past year because uh, Schefter, a little industry secret, he's really more of just like a puppet for agents. That's how he gets his information. So, of course, you're going to keep the agents happy. right? You scratch their back, they scratch yours. They'll give you information as long as you push some information for them as well. And so Schefter's kind of gotten himself in some trouble when he's put out some apparent reports that's like, oh, yeah, this is clearly coming from an agent. And for Brian Windhorst, we know Right? Who's his guy? LeBron James. I wouldn't be surprised if this is something from Clutch Sports. Talking about, well, you got to spend a lot of money to to go out and win a championship to try to keep up with the Warriors. you got to spend even more. By the way, we were talking about that movie Hustle. I liked how the agent played by Kenny Smith, he was just like a combination of Rich Paul and Leon Rose. I think his name was like Leon Paul. I think they were Leon Rich. They took the two names and combined them, and he was supposed to be a, a super agent just like those guys rich paul who's lebron's guy and then leon rose who uh he's now running like the knicks right but he used to be one of the biggest agents in in the nba um but yeah i think that's a garbage take andrew wiggins was a trade and it was seen as a project and the warriors kind of got mocked at the time and now suddenly it's oh it's unfair and the other guys were all drafted by the team and developed what big what name on that team was a big free agent signing right ridiculous but with that said i take that point and I apply it to the NFL. Because the Warriors, horse. what he did say was accurate, right? is they are spending $340 million. They are spending a lot of money. And here they are, back in the championship. The Rams have spent a lot of money. They just won the Super Bowl. The uh, Mets and Yankees and Dodgers spend the most money in baseball. They have, last I checked, the three best records in baseball. you got to spend money to be successful in sports. And so I bring that back to the Panthers and the browns and the panthers have the richest owner in the nfl i know there are salary cap restrictions but the panthers also have the third most salary cap space so this takes me back to my other point when it comes to the panthers and the browns we played that audio last segment of deshaun watson the other storyline with the browns what do you do at becker mayfield stop with this game of chicken of well we're only willing to spend four million and not ten million if you need a quarterback that bad that's the price of doing business Right, Golden State, they want to win championships. They're spending $340 forty million. The Rams want to win a Super Bowl. They're spending all sorts of money on their guys. And the Panthers, with the richest owner and the third most salary cap space, if they truly believe Baker is a, an upgrade over Sam Darnold, and I don't think Baker's going to bring some sort of Super Bowl to Carolina, but if he's a better option at the quarterback position, the most important position in sports, and we're haggling over a few million dollars when you have the richest owner and salary cap space, I mean, what are we doing here? And for the Browns, on the flip side, same idea. The Browns have the second-most salary cap space. So what are they haggling over money for as well? These are two teams with some of the most money to spend right now, and you have two rich owners with Jimmy Haslam who scammed a lot of people and got away with it, and uh, look up that story, and uh, David Tepper, who uh, is the richest owner in the NFL, and we're fighting over a few million dollars about the most important position in football. Makes no sense to me i'm carolina i'm swallowing that price tag i think it's going to make me better at the quarterback spot because that's most important right, same with the rams the rams it's like you know the salary cap can be like uh like your credit card you push it off but eventually those bills are going to come due and the rams are saying that's fine we may pay for this a few years down the road but we're going to try to win right now golden state warriors similar right they're spending big and so eh, this may eventually catch up to us but we're trying to win and the panthers have the money with the owner they have the money with the salary cap why it's only a one-year contract baker becomes a free agent uh, after this offseason or after this upcoming season i do not get this idea of fighting over a few million the browns clearly want baker gone the panthers seem to want him so just make a deal both teams have salary cap space they're just being stubborn sometimes you have to overspend for things right don't be stubborn when you want to take your family to disney don't think like ah, but that's a that's a expensive if you have the money that was one of the lessons i was always taught right if you have the money uh have the experience Because when you look back, you look back on the experience and not how much money you actually spent. When you think back to that Disney vacation years ago that you took your kids on, you don't think, yeah, it was a great time. The kids had the time of their life. We have so many fond memories. But I probably spent a few hundred dollars more than I should have. What? Who thinks that? You had a great time. It was worth it. If Baker's a better quarterback, it'll be worth it, too, to swallow the price tag a little bit. We'll wrap up Hour One next. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
6: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
1: On the Morrow Midday Show.
3: We'll talk some golf coming up at the top of the hour with Jeremy Schilling as we do every Wednesday. Talk about the U.S. Open, the latest with Live Golf and the two sides coming together. I'm sure he'll have plenty to say on the topic coming up in just a little bit. Hey, by the way, did you see that Pizza Hut is out as the official pizza sponsor of the NFL? Little Caesars? Yeah. It's now the, that's a big get for Little Caesars. Hot and ready. Here we go. Let's, let's do it. We got
4: $5 pizzas as the official sponsor of the NFL. Yeah. Are you kidding me, Luke? That's a move right there. Congrats to Little Caesars.
3: Yeah, because I've always felt like Little Caesars has always been uh, like the second tier. They're the underdog. People yeah. don't put them in the same category as a Domino's, Pizza Hut, Papa John's. When you get um, chain pizza like that, mm. what's your favorite of those? <sighs> Four, I guess I just listed. I'd it i
4: probably have to go classic Domino's. I, you know, I, I'm not sure if it's the best pizza, but I feel like it's the fastest and the most easily uh, accessible, if you will. So I would probably say the uh, Domino's. But I love a Little Caesars pizza. They're cheap and they're great. Don't
3: get me yes. wrong. Yes. I think Little Caesars is really underrated. I think Little Caesars, I don't know. They're a, a little bit like, uh, not quite as bad as a Nickelback. But, like, you're embarrassed if you admit you like Nickelback. I feel like there's a bad kind of... People are embarrassed when they're eating Little Caesars as opposed to a Domino's or a Papa John's. I love Little Caesars. It's ready for you. There's no wait. You get there. They give it to you. They had that, like, deep dish. I don't know if they're still doing that or, like, the real thick crust. Love a good... And it's cheap. I used to be a Domino's guy growing up. Now I'm probably more of a Papa John's guy. I don't eat Little Caesars very often. But that's a good spot when you're looking for a cheap, quick pizza just to get something to eat. Congrats to Little Caesars taking over the NFL. We'll talk golf next with Jeremy Schilling. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: WTMZ, 98.9 FM. WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM. W234 CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait,
0: there's more.
1: On ESPN Radio. Yes,
0: it's back, 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 back again. He back. back
6: back back tell a friend 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 guess who's back 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 nam nam
3: nam second hour of the Moro Midday show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio we'll talk some golf in a few moments with jeremy Schilling, as we do every wednesday which allows me to remind you of our 2022 summer golf tour monday morning 8 a.m more foursomes will go on sale at charlestonsportsradio.com next week will be the rivertown country club get your foursomes for 98.9 but of course these foursomes always go quick so set your alarm, mark the calendar, be ready to go Monday morning, 8 a.m. Perfect uh, belated gift for Father's Day even. You forget to get something for your, your father, your husband for Father's Day on Sunday? Don't worry. Wake up Monday morning, 8 a.m., before they even wake up maybe. You get them a nice foursome for 98.9. For next week, the uh, it's the Rivertown Country Club. CharlestonSportsRadio.com. Place to be, Monday morning, 8 a.m., for our next week of the 2022 Summer Golf Tour. All right, we uh, catch up with him every Wednesday. He's our resident golf expert, Jeremy Schilling, on Twitter at J. Schill, writes for PGA Magazine. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. What's going on in the golf world? Seems like uh, there's a few things. We'll talk about it with Jeremy, who joins us now. Jeremy, good afternoon. How are you? <laughs>
8: yeah there's nothing going on I'm not even sure why you booked me
3: today <laughs> yeah I know it you know it's it's funny uh I've heard more golf talk in the sports talk world over the past week or two than ever before so it's uh maybe for golf fans not the best reasons but golf's certainly getting a, a lot of attention and and discussed it,
8: it really is and it's I've had more people approach me wanting my thoughts on this i've had more people trying to figure out am i And uh, Am am, am I anti-live golf, anti-anything that's not the PGA Tour because I work for the PGA? No. I work for an offshoot of the PGA of America. They run the PGA Championship. They are not the PGA Tour. Sports Networks, Stop and News Networks, the PGA and the PGA Tour are two different things. The PGA Tour suspended 19 people last week. The PGA of America did not we taught more people how to play this great game. So please get our information correct, and thank you for giving me the opportunity (laughs) to vent for 30 seconds.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Hey, it may not be the the last of the venting uh, we get out of you here in the next 15 minutes. Um, (laughs) We talked to you, obviously, last Wednesday. We talked to you every Wednesday, and we talked about the latest last Wednesday. Since then, quite a bit has already happened once again in the golf world. So we got the first event this past weekend for, for Live Golf. We obviously had uh, uh, the PGA Tour going on. Rory gets a win. So since we last spoke, uh, it's a, I guess a lame way to tee up, but just I don't. I, what is changed What stands out to you about the first weekend with these two competing uh, events this past weekend?
8: Uh, Trent, judged me today on a scale from one to ten, because last week I was pretty juiced up, and we'll see if I can keep it together, t- keep it together today. Number one, you had the launch of Live Golf, the actual first event of of the uh, 48-player Saudi-back series. And it was the golf tournament that was 54 holes. Some of the coverage was decent. Some of the coverage was propagandish, over-hyping players, um, awkward interviews, uh, awkward everything. Just the whole... Their whole PR blitz to open this thing up has just been a mess and a half. Um, and I won't even name who the winner is because I, I think it's irrelevant to the bigger conversation, excuse me, at hand, which is, is this the future? And we learned that Bryson, Patrick Reed, and Pat Perez have taken payday. So let's now look at it from this perspective. We have 19 players, soon to be 20, suspended by the PGA Tour. Bryson, Patrick Reed, uh, Pat Perez the latest. Bryson got 100 million, Dustin Johnson got 150 million, and Bryce and uh, Phil Mickelson got 200 million dollars from the Saudi Arabian government mostly and, and and other investors to play for this league. We fast forward to the RBC Canadian Open on the PGA Tour that has this incredible threesome on Sunday of Rory, Justin Thomas, two of the biggest pro PGA tour guys. There are Tony Fina, who hasn't really played well enough, frankly, to be asked about it. Uh, no indication that he would go, but uh, I mean, who knows at this point. And they play unbelievable golf. I mean, they went out in 29, 29, 31. Collectively, uh, you know, or, or or each person as a group, the worst any of those three players shot in the group on Sunday, I believe, was 64. And you have a mistake by Justin uh, Thomas on, on on the 17th tee, a proper miss by Rory, and eventually Rory winning um, with the sea of fans surrounding him and a scene that that the PGA Tour could only dream of. And then the dig at Greg Norman for getting number 21 moving past him on the list for, for all-time wins. That was just so perfectly done. If you didn't know it, Jim Nance told you exactly what it was right after. And after a booth interview by Jay Monahan uh, with Jay Monahan, PGA Tour Commissioner, with, uh, by Jim Nance that was at times, uh, really strong by, by Jim, really strong by Tommy Spencer, his long longtime editorial consultant and, and right-hand man, and which led to Jay having to be defensive in spots and basically saying, look, why do you need us? Why, if you are being paid all these hundreds of millions of dollars by the Saudis, why do you need us? What, why do you want to play our tour? When Jim asked, "Well, why can't you can't you do what Kevin now wants to do, which is to play some PGA Tour events and some live events or all live events and PGA Tour events?" wasn't the, the greatest answer, on, you know, it, um, unless you look at the nuance. And then the 9/11 families and that and that scathing letter that was sent to, um, you know, Phil and DJ and, and the prominent guys and Jay Monahan saying, "Quote." I don't think there's ever been a player that has ever had to apologize for playing on the PGA tour. And that I think speaks to the longevity of the tour, the uh, ways that the tour has done business, the loyalty, the heritage, the legacy, all those things that some players clearly do not believe in. Um, uh, Some players who are, who are now joining the live tour, but also do business, by and you know you know most of the time the right way, and when you take money from the Saudi government, you open yourself up to questions about the uh, e- e- the slaughtering of the Washington Post journalists, uh, uh, Khashoggi, the nine eleven families. You open yourself up to all of this, which has led this week one hundred twenty second U.S. Open to some very awkward interviews after the USGA says, yep, you can play because we can't change the criteria midstream. I'm kind of with the USGA on this. Mike Wan said today, CEO of the USGA, he can see a day where these guys are banned eventually down the line when they reset the criteria. And that Phil interview and the and the Bryson one saying this is a business decision, And a family decision, but Bryson is single for all we know. And Phil being very, I I, I respect and I have empathy, but not really wanting to go anywhere. It's gotten very awkward and very weird, Luke. Um, And that's what you open yourself up towards when you take hundreds of millions of dollars from the Saudis that don't have the best heritage and um, recent History when it comes to human rights
3: yeah certainly as we talk with jeremy Schilling of uh well he's a resident <laughs> golf expert he's on twitter at jay Schill. He writes for pga magazine i thought you summarized it well you know for lack of a better term this is a little bit like uh the civil war of the golf world and these two i find it interesting that after we have that first live golf event this past weekend now they come right back together for the u.s open it's not just some rant. it's not the travelers this weekend it's the u.s open so what do you expect from the golfers? Like, should we expect some fireworks here these next couple of days? Do you think that the golfers that went to the Live Golf event this past weekend, will they be received poorly by uh, a Rory and a Justin Thomas and whoever else here over the next couple of days?
8: You know, what, what's really interesting about that, Luke, is twofold. A, that is purposeful scheduling by the, by the Live folks. B, it's unfortunate scheduling that, that it's a major. I think by tomorrow at 6.45 in the morning live on Peacock and then 9.30 USA, 2 p.m. NBC, 5 p.m. USA Network, 7 p.m. Peacock, and then on to the weekend we'll be mostly on the same page of one to talk about the 122nd U.S. Open. But I think that the guys will be received fine. There will be some awkward conversations. There may not be a lot of chatters if you're playing with a best friend, um, but but it, it it it'll be congenial. I think there could be some jeering. Phil has been received well so far this week by the fans at Brookline. You, you're a Boston sports guy. That can get nasty in a heartbeat, right? So yeah, yeah.
3: ask Clay Thompson.
8: you you've got to be careful here. Um, and, and be careful. I do think there is a problematic situation forming, however, for some of these players that are delayed Saudi players. And I'm going to explain what this is and try to do it as succinctly as possible. As soon as Bryson committed, Rocket Mortgage, one of his sponsors, immediately dropped him. Ricky Fowler has been on the fence. He has publicly said that he's on the fence and he is playing next week. He is sponsored also by rocket mortgage. There is an event, the rocket mortgage classic coming up later this summer on the PGA tour. Does he wait to join live until after that event? Right. Mm -hmm. And we talked last week about why would you make this leap? Why would you make this leap? for not exactly high-quality golf, right? And the bottom line is greed. What has Phil talked about in both his pre-tournament press conference overseas and his pre- pre-tournament press conference overseas about how he improves himself and, and the things he discovered, the gambling? It keeps coming up over and over again. His financial issues. Why did these guys join Live Golf? Greed, money, and none of them except 50-year-old Richard Bland has the audacity to say it. And I think if these guys just would open their mouth and say, for right now, for myself, for my family, this was the best financial move for us. You can word it however you want, but you make it clear that it was the money and that you don't care where the, what the source is, and sponsors will do what they will. But for us, this is what mattered. I think it would, it would actually be more of a respectable move than what we're seeing now.
3: Yeah, I agree. And with it. What,
8: uh, yep. And what I'm curious about uh, – uh, sorry, Luke, go ahead.
3: No, I was just I, – I, I agree with you 100%. I've, said the, I've been saying the same thing. Uh, get up there and at least be truthful with us, what, what it's all about. But but finish that finish that thought what you were saying.
8: Yeah, I do think if if folks remember the 2018 masters that was won by Patrick Reed, he has a history w- with Augusta, Georgia, Augusta State, you can google it long um, uh, a long con- a long controversial history. That was one of the quieter winners applauses we've heard in this last probably 20 years. At Augusta National for a winner. I wonder if a live golfer wins on Sunday at Brookline, and this can be our nice little segue here, professional segue, if the response will be more muted than if a non live guy wins this week.
3: It's uh certainly an interesting thought. So, with that said, as you said, the segue into this week, and let's talk actually about the golf itself. Um what should we expect this weekend from the US Open? I believe it's in, in Brooklyn for the first time what, since the eighties. What should we expect from uh, this weekend of golf?
8: Since the nineteen eighty eight US Open, which was won by Curtis Strange in a playoff over Sir Nick Falda. Nick Fowdo will be a part of CBS uh, geez, not CBS is NBC's coverage plans over on USA Network and um, uh, USA network and Peacock, but not the um, NBC portion. What should we expect? You got to hit fairways, small, tiny greens. Damon Hack of Golf Channel asked Loria, "How would you describe Brookline?" And he said, "It's." And I, the thought just left me instantly. But it's uh, oh, Beth Page. Think about Beth Page, right? You have the high wispy fescue rough. You've got the. Uh, thick, rough, if, if you miss it, you can do something with it, but maybe not get to the green, blind shots, a lot of blind shots. All the NBC guys were talking about this last week, 11, 13, 14, blind second shots and or blind tee shots. Um, and that it's that with Pebble Beach greens. And what he means by that is old green that have very, uh, small areas where they can put pin locations. What does that mean? You have to be accurate, and your scrambling has to be on point. You can't bomb and gouge this place. You also can't be short. No offense to 57-year-old Frank Quinn. Sensational story that he qualified. But I don't think it's going to be a short hitter that will win this week. I think it will be somebody that has a good mix of everything in their game. And we'll get to who that is momentarily. The other thing to know about this is that the first time since 1913, when Francis, we met who was the last amateur to win the United States open played in the U S open. The 11th hole is being used. The 11th hole is from the other nine holes at Brookline. It's a very short part three. It's like 120 yards or something. Very, very short to on what the USGA does. Falls off the back very, very, um, uh, 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 excuse me, very abruptly, very very steep slope. You have to be on point with your landing spots and where you putt from. And then the, the third thing to look out for, the ninth hole has water on the right side of the fairway and up towards the green. There have been some balls this week that in practice, have been dropped and have run out that were good tee shots that ran all the way down either into the water or just before the water. The USGA can remedy that with adding water to the fairway. It's not um, unfair. Trust me. They've done this before. But that is something to watch, the ninth fairway, and does that get away from them at any point this week?
3: So with that said, who do you like? Who are some names for this weekend? Who's
8: the names? And sorry for going long, but this has been such a, a complicated week. Um, I love Max Homa. I think the guys like Max Homa, Matt Fitzpatrick won the 2013 uh, U.S. Amateur here. Uh, but guys like Max Homa, who are grinders and scramblers, I would love Will Zalatoris if his short putting was better. I would love Colin Morikawa if he was a better putter. I think Jordan Speed's going to tease us. I think it's a lot to win back-to-back for Rory, although Roger Maltby said on my podcast, hey, but remember, Rory has all the momentum coming in of knowing that he's playing well, which is a good thing. Justin Thomas has been a sexy name that has been looming out there. Isn't it lovely, Luke, that we can drop sexy in this context on on, uh, radio shows like this? That's right. And it can't be bleeped. Yes. Uh, Who's your favorite Rory at 11 to 1, 12 to 1 for JT, 15 to 1 for John Rahm. He's got the type of game too, along with Scotty Scheffler, uh, who's also 15 to 1. And there's great value way, way, way down this board with Davis Riley. I have him at 85 to 1. Davis Riley has played sneaky good golf. If you can get him on a top 5 bet or a top 10 bet, um, or sorry, top 10, top 15, top 20 type bet, Really interesting, sneaky bet.
3: All right, we'll see how it goes this weekend. We'll talk about it next Wednesday, of course, with Jeremy, our resident golf expert on Twitter, at J Shill, writes for PGA Magazine, joins us every week. Jeremy, appreciate the time, as always, and uh, enjoy the U.S. Open this weekend.
8: No Jets minicamp talk?
3: <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we'll <laughs> spare everybody.
8: <laughs> Sounds good, even though apparently Zach Wilson's in the best shape of his life.
3: Ah, of course, yes. That's what they all say. We'll talk yeah, with you. Exactly. Thanks, Floyd. Yeah, we'll talk you with you next it. week. Thanks, Trent. Jeremy Schilling, our resident golf expert. And that, that, we've been talking about that, though, with the quarterbacks this offseason. Everyone, all these quarterbacks get into the best shape of their life, get ripped.
4: Zach Wilson's going to need it because he's going to be getting hit a lot, Luke Morrow. A yeah. lot. There's no doubt about it. Jalen Hurts, too.
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, apparently he got yoked as well, as we discussed yesterday. Which, to relate that back to golf, I mean, Tiger really kind of started that whole trend. And now you have your Brooks Kepka and your Bryson DeChambeau. Right, we're golfers now. you moved away from the John Daly's. Uh, these guys are ripped, too. Hey, when we come back, uh, some thoughts on this whole golf stuff. Uh, plus, how do you get dressed in the morning? We'll get to that next, and I'll explain why. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
6: Attention, campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle.
1: Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show.
3: it's the morrow midday show with luke morrow here on espn radio appreciate the time last segment from jeremy Schilling. if you ever miss anything from the show catch it on demand just search espn radio charleston however you listen to your podcast and you can find our full conversation with jeremy and the breakdown of what's going on in the golf world as he said look the timing right timing is everything in life and uh the timing is not a coincidence here that the Live Golf Tour had their first event this past weekend, leading right into now a major where the two sides are going to come back together. And the big story this week is kind of more about Live Golf than the actual major of the U.S. Open, which I think is part of the design as well. I'm very curious to see how the two sides come back together after a couple of the golfers that have not made the move have been a little tough vocally about the golfers who have. Same idea for the fans. Right? I asked Jeremy about this uh, last segment. And I guess Mickelson's been well received so far. I think Mickelson I think your average golf fan, right, still doesn't really care so much about it. They just they still like Mickelson. It's almost like um you know, like the Deshaun Watson situation, the people that are supporting him the most are Browns fans because he's he's one of, he's on the Browns. So if you were already a Mickelson guy, you know, a lot of times the sports fans we, we separate the art, if you will, or the entertainment from whatever else is going on. We uh compartmentalize. And uh, so Mickelson, I guess, has been well-received. I would imagine he'd continue to be so by the fans. But I'm sure there may be some fans that are hard on these golfers that join the Saudi Arabian-backed events. Not often do you hear booing at a golf event. Maybe we'll get some boos this weekend. I don't know. I think it can make things more interesting. I've always thought that uh, fans should be able to make some noise at golf events. Which, I'll say that, but at the same time, I'll also tell you how annoying. Every golf event has the same annoying fans that yell the same stupid things every time. It wasn't funny in the 90s, and it's not funny 25 years later, with the stupid Baba Booey and Get in the Hole and whatever else, but the same things that you yell over and over again.
4: Mashed potatoes, that's oh, a big one. That's a big goodness.
3: one. Come up with some new material.
4: You say mashed potatoes, I might hit a drive 300 yards. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, that's a thing.
3: Bunch of carrot tops over there. I mean, come up with something new. Goodness. At least carrot top hasn't been irrelevant in years. Um But anyways, we'll see how it goes. Now, I've compared Live Golf to uh, college football in a couple of different areas. Number one, or I I guess just the golf community in general right now, professional golf to college football. You know, in college football, with the advent of the playoff, it made the bowl games and a lot of regular season games meaningless. Now, the Live Golf Tour, I think it uh, contributes to making some of these random, not the majors, majors are still major, hence the name. But the other events, uh, I think, become a little bit more meaningless. I grew up going to the Travelers in uh, Connecticut as a kid every summer. And we have the Travelers coming up in a couple weeks. I think that field is now going to suffer. Right, These random, uh, typical weekend uh, golf events are not going to be as good. You're only going to care about the majors. I don't think you're even going to care about the live golf events either. It's just going to be four events a year. Like in college football, it's just about the playoff. All those other bowl games, yeah, they're fun. You'll watch it when it's on TV. But, yeah, you don't really care unless it's your team. And the other part, too, is that in college the great thing people would always say, right, I like college basketball more than the NBA. They play harder in college basketball. And the idea is that in college basketball, they play for the love of the game. In the NBA, they're a bunch of overpaid, spoiled brats. You could say it about all professional sports. Well, now with the guaranteed money of the Live Golf Tour, it's a similar idea. On the PGA Tour, you're playing for your paycheck. If you don't make the cut, you lose money for that week. You only get paid if you make the cut, and you still have to pay your caddy and, you know, some of your expenses and everything. With a live golf tour, it's guaranteed money. It's like, ah, who cares? right? LeBron James, ah, I only play 50 games this year. Live golf tour, you're getting millions. You could finish in last place and still make a million dollars. So, you know, the motivation may not be as strong. But I'm very curious to see how things go this weekend with the U.S. Open as we uh, get back to some sort of normal. Well, as normal as it will be right now, uh, but I'm curious to see how those live golfers are received by both the fellow golfers and the fans. Here was uh, Justin Thomas this week, talking about the recent developments and the uh, Live Golf series. Here's what JT had to say.
9: It just was a big week for the tour. I mean, I I, I tossed and turned and lost a lot of lo- a lot of sleep last week thinking about what could potentially happen. And it's just you know I've I grew up my entire life wanting to play the PGA Tour, wanting to uh, you know break records, make history, play Presidents Cups, play Ryder Cups, and you know the fact that things like that could potentially um you know get hurt because of you know some of the people that are leaving and and if more go um it's just sad i mean it's really no other way to say it it's just it, it just makes me sad you know cuz like i said i've grown up my entire life wanting to do that and i don't want to do anything else um You know, I mean, the the people that have gone, it's it's, like I said, they have the decision that they're entitled to make it. Not necessarily that I agree with it one way or the other, but uh, everything's got a price, I guess.
4: Just to follow up, thanks. Is uh, Phil Mickelson making the decision that he made, does that disappoint you?
9: What what decision? Phil
4: Phil. Mickelson to go to live golf.
9: Uh, I mean, he was very adamant about it for a while. So I I don't think that decision or, or Bryson really surprised any of us. I mean, they were talking it up, not only to, uh, to a lot of their peers, but other people. So I think, uh, you know, Phil going was uh, was not that surprising of a, a decision just based off of things that I was hearing internally.
3: Justin Thomas talking the other day. This should be pretty interesting up in Massachusetts these next couple of days with the U.S. Open. Here's what I find most interesting. There was also a video released by the PGA Tour, behind-the-scenes look. Of some of these guys coming in, getting ready to go uh, go out on the course for their round of golf that day. Justin Thomas is in this video. He comes into the clubhouse. He's getting changed. He puts on, Justin Thomas, he puts on one sock, then he puts on the shoe. Then he goes to the other foot. Puts on one sock, puts on that shoe. Nope. Yeah, I think this is crazy. Nope. Who does that? You got to put both socks on at the same time, and then you go to the shoes.
4: You know, maybe that's a superstition for oh, uh, for JT. You know, we don't know how these golfers operate as far as their headspace goes. So there's potential that that might just be a little cork of his. But uh, you, you know, now Luke, I'm not I'm not down with that. Just put the socks on, then put the shoes on. It's a pretty simple process. Don't make it more difficult than it has to be.
3: I agree. That's a fair point, though. I'll be honest, I did not think of that. Could be superstition. He goes with the right foot first, sock on, then shoe, then the left foot, sock on, shoe. I don't like that. Mm-mm. You put both socks on at the same time then you get to the shoes now it got me thinking though about getting dressed in the morning right so now what's the order when you wake up you hop out of bed maybe you jump in the shower or whatever when you get dressed for the day what's the first thing you put on
4: it's got to be the uh, the undergarments i, uh, I mean it, it has to be the undergarments first if not you know that's a serious uh that's very serious that if you do put socks on before the undergarments luke that's an incredibly difficult uh you know problem we have
3: yeah that's strange you know that's. Uh, I think uh, the Night Stalker did that <laughs> back in the day. If you put shirt on first and you're Winnie Poohing it, that's a little weird too. Very weird, right? You Very put the stretched. shirt on, no undergarments yet, and you're just walking around with the with the the shirt on, nothing on underneath. Yeah, you're bottomless. That's a, that's a weird look too. Winnie the Pooh. Yeah. yeah.
4: There's probably some people like they're in an apartment. You know, they're stretching in the morning <laughs> right. and they're they're Winnie the Poohing it. Yeah, yeah no doubt.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the, don't do that either. All right, so you go undergarments. I'm with you. Yeah. First thing, you got to put on the undergarments. Because, by the way, you never know. Somebody could be knocking on the door. Something could happen. you you got to get out quick. Who knows what's going to happen? And that's the one area I'm going to make sure I cover up before I do anything. Maybe I want to go to the kitchen and get something to drink. I'm not going to be walking around in the nude, even my own home like that. No, nope, I put the undergarments on. Yeah, come on. Second, what do you go with? Do you go socks, sh- pants, mm. shirt?
4: Yeah, well, see, summertime I'm not a big sock guy, you know, mm-hmm. so I wear the low tops, usually no socks. So I would say right now, Luke, I'd probably go I get the pants on next, mm-hmm. and then usually mill around a little bit, make sure the shirt is steamed or whatever, and then and then I'll eventually put the shirt on. Kind of put the shirt on right before I leave the house. That's that's always my thing. But right now I don't do any socks, so you know, I just it's undergarments, pants, belt, let's get moving.
3: if you do if you were to do socks last, do the socks last? Uh,
4: yeah, socks last, probably. Actually, huh. they might go on they might go on after the undergarments, depending on the weather. Mm, depending on the weather. That's true. Yeah, you gotta check the weather in the morning. That's always it. So depending on the weather, I might throw on some socks if the if you know the APT is a little chilly.
3: That's a good point. Yeah. Or if I wake up and it's the winter and it's a little cold, I gotta, you know, it always starts with your feet. You're cold because of your feet. So yeah, that's true. I'll go undergarments and then I may go socks second. This time of year, yeah, socks I'm doing last. I'll do the yeah I'll do the shorts next. I think most people do that the same way. I think you go underwear, shorts, top, and then you can do your foot your feet and accessories if you wish. You yeah, but if you
4: if you start if you start with the feet, uh, just call eight four three seven two one nine five hundred because we need to have a in depth conversation
3: about your life. Yeah, we need to report you to the authorities. <laughs> all right, who are you, Charles Manson? Get that out of here. What about do you, do you put product in your hair? Yes, yeah. You do that at the very end?
4: Uh, Yeah. Actually, no. I don't do that at the very end. So I get the shirt hung up, ready to go, uh, and then I go back into the bathroom and then put the product in my hair because it's got to let it sit for a little ah, bit. You know okay. what I'm saying? So you let it sit. You hit the couch. You make breakfast or whatever you're doing. So it's sitting there already molded. Okay. Do you put product in your hair? We're usually wearing a hat. I usually so, wear a
3: hat. Yeah. If I don't wear a hat, I probably would need product. That's why I wear a hat because I'm too lazy to, <laughs> to deal with it in the morning. But I usually do... I put shirt on first because mm. I don't want to put the shirt on mess up the hair.
4: Uh, good point. Good so point. I always
3: go shirt first, and then I may drape a towel around the shoulders to protect the shirt, take care of the hair.
4: There afterwards. you go. There you go. Yeah, th- I mean the hair is the most important. The oh, most course.
3: important. Absolutely. Got to have a good uh, good hair day. That's why I usually wear a hat. I don't have to worry about it. And I agree that uh, the shirt, though, I'm usually there's usually a delay. I'll put the the, the, the uh, boxers on. I'll go into the shorts. And then whatever I got to do around the house, I may do around the house. I'll come back to the shirt. Right, right. And that's what people, right, That's what uh, like women comedians do that bit too, about like how come men always walk around without wearing a shirt around the house? I don't know. It's just a comfort thing, I guess. And it's not like, uh, I'm not like one of those guys. I go to the, the, to the community pool, and you see all the buff guys, right, looking down, flexing at themselves. I'm, it's not even one of those. I'm not even trying to show anything off. Ah, it's a comfort thing. Eventually you get the shirt on before you walk out the door. Shirt on. Brush the hair. Take care. You're good to go. It's the Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
3: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Got plenty more to do. We'll get to uh, Trent's takes coming up. Um, We will uh, get to some dark horse candidates in college football this year. But first, we have some important matters to attend to. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. We were talking about uh, how you get prepared to go out your door in the morning after Justin Thomas apparently puts – one sock on, then a shoe, then the other sock, the other shoe. And we were t- discussing getting dressed in the morning. Let's go to the phones because Stephen is with us. Stephen, what's going on? How are you?
0: Hey, doing all right.
7: Listen, what are your feelings about undershirts? Like, I wear an undershirt even if I'm wearing a T-shirt. Oh. Like, it's required.
3: Now, let me ask you this. What type of uh, body build are we talking about? What are you working okay. with?
8: I got a dad bod. <laughs> okay. Hey,
3: that's, nothing wrong with that. It's
7: neither here nor there. Okay. It's, I think it's more about the comfort. I uh-huh. mean, nothing worse than stepping outside and being sweaty, like sweating through your shirt immediately.
3: That's true. So it provides, yeah, yes, the undershirt provides the, uh, it keeps that shirt from sticking, your T-shirt from sticking to the body.
7: Yeah, yeah. I mean, no matter what shirt I'm wearing, golf shirt. Any button up, anything, a t shirt, there's always an undershirt. Always.
3: I got no problem with it. I can respect that. I'm a big undershirt guy depending on the shirt I'm wearing. And I appreciate it, Stephen. And look, dad bod, dad bods are in anyways, and don't worry. I come from a big family. We're a bunch of uh, Gavones, so we're you're all good. Uh, my brothers wear the undershirts all the time. I'm a big uh, I, I go with the undershirts depending on um, what I'm wearing. T shirts, usually not. But if I'm wearing anything with a collar, I go with the undershirt. I don't know. It's something about the material, I guess. The cotton t-shirt, I'm fine. But I get what you're saying. When you're out and you're sweaty, uh, it's the worst. That's why growing up, whenever I would play uh, basketball, underneath the jersey, I would always wear an undershirt. Because the jersey would always stick. That was always a terrible feeling. The jersey sticking to your chest when you're playing basketball back in the day or any sport, even like baseball. So sports always go undershirt. Uh, if I'm going to be sweating, probably go undershirt for that extra level of protection, separation. But if I'm wearing a T-shirt, like today, I'm just wearing a T-shirt, I don't go undershirt. And I got no problem. I got a drawer filled with uh, with undershirts. Love them. But only if a collar, right? I, I hate, I do not like the look of wearing an open collared shirt and nothing underneath. Really? I'm not letting the chest hair, unless it's poking out over the undershirt, that's one thing. But I'm not one of those big guys that, uh, you know, you leave the top buttons unbuttoned and mm. you leave the shirt open, and you're showing off the chest. I don't know, Luke. Don't I,
4: do I, I'm a I'm a skinny guy, much like you and I. You know, we're very thin, if you will. Mm-hmm. I don't rock and If I'm going collared or, like, a button-down or something. No I'm undershirt. Not, no undershirt. Wow. Yeah. I play golf without an undershirt. Sometimes it's a problem, especially over this weekend. But, yeah, I, don't, I usually don't do an undershirt. Just let it hang. Let mm. it hang. What are we doing? Wow.
3: If it's a collared shirt, if it's a golf shirt, if it's a dressed-up shirt, if I'm in a suit, I go undershirt. T-shirt, mm. no undershirt. But I also think the question why I asked about you know the body type is because, as I said, I think for bigger guys, they also prefer the undershirts because it can be a little slimming. Right. And uh, it could also be a little more comfortable. And that's not any slight. I'm big. Like I said, I'm, I come from a family of some big guys. So uh, I'm well-versed in the area of when you've got to wear that undershirt underneath, uh, make everything a little more comfortable and a little more slimming, keep it all together underneath the shirt. No problem. But I'm not a big uh, undershirt guy under a T-shirt. But i got no problem with it. I'll tell you what. I've gotten, I've become just like my, uh, my, it was more of my grandfather. My father doesn't do it so much, but just walking around the house in the undershirt. Ah,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time now. All the,
3: yeah. I'll go home or I'll get out of the shower. Instead of throwing a t-shirt on, I throw on just an undershirt Wow. and I'll wear that the rest of the day.
4: Gold chain hanging, pinky yeah, ring gold, on. Yeah. Well, on now. <laughs> no, no
3: pinky ring, but the gold, the, yeah, the gold chain is there. Yeah. Yeah. But I tuck it in. I'm not one of those guys.
4: Even around the house, you tuck it in
3: it may slip out. Let it hang. It's an undershirt. Let it what hang, fella. Yeah, what do you want? It's the, it's an undershirt. <laughs> it's uh, low hanging. The the, the chain <laughs> slips out every once in a while. But oh yeah, if I'm just laying around the house, I go undershirt now. I don't even bother throwing on a t-shirt. I got to have something on. I don't like just laying around uh, without any shirt for all, you know all day. But I'll go undershirt, no problem. So I got no You're not going to get any undershirt slander here. Just the undershirt under a t-shirt. Uh I don't do it. I got no problem if you do though.
4: No, no, no problem. Seems a tad bit unnecessary, but I got no problem with it. Yeah,
3: that's right. Oh, by the way, someone else reached out to the show and said that when they go golfing, they do the same thing as Justin Thomas.
4: Right, yeah. They, so uh, he described it to me as when you're getting, you, we get to the course, and if you have golf shoes, which, you know, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I usually don't, but if I do, I'll. Uh, he, he said that he gets out of the car, sits in the trunk, and then puts, you know, one sock on, throws that shoe on, one sock on, throws that shoe on. Even when I've done that, when I have my golf shoes, I, re- like, I just put the socks on and then put the shoes on. I don't, yeah, I don't, right. I don't understand the I don't order. Know.
3: Maybe it's a golf thing. I don't know. I've golfed before. I've never had golf shoes, though. I just got whatever I'm wearing. I'm exactly. going out there. yeah. I wonder now you've golfed in both golf shoes and non golf shoes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you I, notice a difference.
4: No, I, 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 not at all actually. Like I, maybe the grip a little mm-hmm, bit, but yeah. I much rather, I, I play golf in low top vans and I would much rather play in those than, uh, than some of these golf shoes because I don't know, maybe it's the arch on my, I got a weird arch. Loop, so uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's the arch on my foot. I got to find, you know, I got to get corrective shoes and make sure they're right. And these golf shoes nowadays—I mean, I want the Jordan ones so bad, yeah. so bad. Right. They're two hundred and ten bucks, you know. And, and good golf shoes are going to cost you hundred fifty. I'm not spending that. Let me get my vans out here. Let me hit some good drives. What are we doing?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Now I don't golf a ton, but anytime I have, yeah, I just go out in the sneakers, and I've never noticed some sort of issue. But man, you should, maybe it's a golf thing. I don't know. I found it weird. I watched this video of Justin Thomas. I always love the behind-the-scenes look. It's very cool. They let you in, and I saw that, and what stood out from the. Two-minute video is uh, Justin Thomas going sock shoe and then sock shoe on the other foot. I don't get it. Doesn't make sense to me. Just put uh, put both socks on and then both shoes at the same time. Eight four three seven two one nine five zero zero to join the conversation. At this point, obviously, we'll push back. Uh, Trent takes. We're talking about undershirts, okay? We're doing serious business here. Serious stuff, folks. Yeah. Come on, strap in. This is why you come to the More Midday show <laughs> on a Wednesday. Let's go back to the phones. Jim's with us. Jim, what's going on? How are you?
10: This is not Jim.
3: Oh, this is Lou. This is Lou. Lou, what's going on? How are you?
10: Good. Just fine, thanks. Say about shoes and socks, yeah. There's a very funny conversation in an in a episode of All in the Family between Archie Bunker and the Meathead about exactly this topic, whether to put on both socks and then both shoes oh. or a sock and a shoe and a sock and a shoe. And if you can find a clip of that on the internet, just uh, check it out. And they, they eventually got to the point where they argued over if there's, sudden, if there's a fire and you have to bolt out of the house before you're done putting on your socks and shoes, are you going to go out with one sock, one foot fully shod, you know, socks, one sock and one shoe, and then the other one bare? Or are you going to go out with two socks and no shoes? When the fire breaks out, you yeah, right. have to run.
3: Yeah, that's a great point. It's the same reason why I put the underwear on first thing. Because if I got to run out of the house, I want to at least have my, uh, you know, my area covered up instead of some sort of T-shirt. Instead, so I think it's a great point. You got to go two socks before shoes, and you got to put underwear on before anything else in the morning, just in case, God forbid, something happens, and you got to be on the move.
10: Uh, you are very correct on both counts.
3: Yes, thank you.
10: If you can find that Archie Bunker scene with uh, about shoe socks, shoe sock. And it was when they got stuck. Uh, I forget which guy was on which, you know, side of that that uh, argument. And I don't remember what episode. But for some reason, they both got stuck uh, sharing a, a bedroom. I think it was when uh, Meathead was moving in next door, but his house wasn't ready yet. He and Gloria.
3: Okay. Yeah, I see the video. I see the video right here. We'll have to uh, listen to it off air, and uh, and then you yeah. check it out. It's funny. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate it, Lou. And I'm with you. You do both socks for that for that reason alone. Do both socks just in case something happens. You got to get out of the house. It's the same reason why you got to go underwear first in the morning. Winnie the Pooh didn't have to worry about some sort of house fire. He could go shirt, shirt first and be bottomless. What kind of look is that? Winnie the Pooh. You had to worry about forest fires. Now that's <laughs> that's important. <laughs> that's fair. By the way, if you're living out in the forest, what do you <laughs> want to protect most? Right? Why do you go just the shirt? Who came up with that idea? If anything, you should be topless, wear bottoms. That's probably better off. You're sitting down out in the forest. And I mean, what are you doing here, Winnie? Unbelievable. What a terrible influence.
4: <laughs> yeah, to children across the world. Yeah. I mean, just sitting there like a Lummix eating honey, yeah. no pants on. Come on, Winnie.
3: Yeah, seriously. Uh, and I see even a video of Rob Reiner talking about how his socks and shoes made it into all the family. So I don't know if he was one of the actors in that scene or if it was his idea or what. But now I'm going to do some digging into this because this is very fascinating. We'll look into this. When we come back, uh, we'll wrap up Hour 2. We've got to get to some dark horses as well. We'll get to Trent's takes next hour and uh, plenty more this afternoon. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: Spend lunch with
3: Luke.
6: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
1: On the Morrow Midday Show.
3: in about two of the morrow midday show with luke morrow here on espn radio i used to love this music video back in the day we had you had your mixtapes my brothers and i also had a mixtape of music videos back when that was a thing on mtv and vh1 and this is one of them that we had on that mixtape from the food fighters uh, some classic music videos back in the day we'd have on our vhs mixtape and we would just sit there and watch music videos what a time hey um you know, David Tepper, it's funny. I was talking about uh, the Panthers earlier with the um, Baker Mayfield situation. You know, this game of chicken when I think they certainly have the money to be able to take on a Baker Mayfield, and yet they're haggling over a couple millions of dollars. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. If you think he's going to make you better, why not? Uh, if you have the money to spend, which they do, why not? Um, but I also saw the other headline with David Tepper and the Panthers is that the South Carolina uh, County you know, of Rock Hill, after this whole training facility debacle, they're suing David Tepper for 21 million now. So I guess so much for that whole uh whatever the expression was, like two states one team. You know, they're the Carolina Panthers, not North Carolina. They're South Carolina's team as well. Well, now South Carolina is suing the owner of the Panthers for 21 million. So that whole uh, situation's a bit of a mess. But that's the latest there with uh, Tepper and the trade Maybe that's why he doesn't want to spend so much money on Baker Mayfield. He's getting sued for 21 mil after backing out of that whole deal with the uh, training facility in uh, Rock Hill and the ugliness there. So that's the latest with Tepper. So much for the whole uh, we're in this together, our two, the two Carolinas. Not so much. Now one of the Carolinas is suing the owner of the Panthers. Speaking of um, Carolina, coming up we'll talk about Clemson with a new baseball coach. South Carolina's response. And are the Atlanta Braves ever going to lose another game again? Plus, we'll circle back to the socks and shoes conversation as well. Hour three coming up next. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: TMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234 CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But
0: wait, there's more.
1: On ESPN Radio. Guess
0: who's back, 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 back again. In, in back,
6: back, back. Tell friend friend, friend. Guess who's back, guess who's back, guess who's back.
3: Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, Clemson with their new baseball coach. We'll get to some uh, dark horse candidates in college football this year. And, of course, got to get to Trent's takes Coming up later on this hour as well. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. The podcast is available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. While there, you can leave a comment for the show. You can always get In touch with the show on Twitter, at Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can give us a call, 843-721-9500. We'll get back to some baseball stuff coming up in a few moments, uh, just like we started the afternoon. But did you see this video of this uh, Clay Thompson lookalike? we got Game 6 of the NBA Finals coming up tomorrow night as the Celtics will try to stay alive. The Warriors will try to win another. Before Game 5, there's a guy, I guess he's well-known. He's internet famous because he looks a little bit like Klay Tom- uh, Th- uh, Thompson. And, um, Trent, did you see this video?
4: Oh, yeah. This guy's an absolute legend. He's been around the internet for, I feel like, four or five years now.
3: Ah. Uh legend is a strong term
4: legend on the internet i you know i'm not a huge fan of him but he's got a lot of followers luke got a lot of followers
3: yeah he does people love it so he went if you're unfamiliar with the story i watched the video yesterday it's like a 15 minute video he uh went to the arena before game five he had tickets for game five he went early dressed up like a basketball player and he had his hood up so he looked a a little bit more like clay thompson walked right through security through the employee entrance Nobody checked any sort of credentials. In fact, one of, I guess, the security guards, they're off camera, but they say something like, I don't know, get a win tonight or something like that, right? Assuming he's just Clay Thompson. (laughs) Which, by the way, why Clay Thompson would be showing up like in full, this guy was in like a uniform with a sweatshirt on. Clay's not showing up with his jersey shorts on in the afternoon. But I guess if you're a security guard, you assume like this guy looks like Clay. He'd be coming through this entrance. It must be Clay Thompson. Anyways, this uh, imposer, the lookalike, went out onto the court shot around for about 10 minutes before security became wise to it. And eventually the lady who actually was there when he walked in found him as he was coming off the court and asked if he had any credentials, yada, yada. They figured out, like, this is actually Clay Thompson. (laughs) I think it was maybe when he airballed a layup, which was in the video. Maybe they realized, like, wait a minute, this guy's not actually on the team. But he shot around on the floor for about 10 minutes. Anyway, security came. They realized, like, oh, he's not supposed to be in here. He's not Clay Thompson. They kicked him out. And in the video you'll see, like, a cop, passes him and he like checks on the guy like you okay i just got a call about you i got to go see security the security guards were all really cool about it and then he hung around the area because he had tickets to the game so i guess he was just staying there now for the game later on a couple hours later and eventually like uh, the vp of security with the warriors caught up with him outside the arena and told him he was banned for life and he couldn't come to the game that night yeah now i got a lot of uh takeaways from this <laughs> number one i think this is kind of lame for the Warriors. Mm. To, yeah. To ban him.
4: No, no, absolutely. Absolutely.
3: I get he shouldn't have been on the floor. They never, they just let him walk in. Like, I, I don't know. I guess he knew what he was doing was wrong, I suppose. But at the same time, like, uh, there should be some responsibility on your security staff. Nobody checked. They just let him walk in. He went onto the court. He shot around. Like, I'd do the same thing if I could. Go shoot on an NBA arena floor if nobody was going to stop me. Yeah, and absolutely. And you ban him for life.
4: Yeah, no, and and this guy's like, from what I've learned about him, He's an actual, like, Warriors fan. Yeah. Like, he goes to games very often. Everybody thinks it's funny. There's a, The first video that went viral was him walking around the Bay Area in full, like, Clay Thompson garb and people stopping and freaking out and wanting to take pictures of him. Like, he's an actual Warriors fan. Yeah,
3: bad move on the Warriors. Yeah, I don't think they needed to ban him for life. I'll circle back to that in a moment, though. In regards to the actual guy, though, I think the guy's kind of a loser. Uh, <laughs> because... <laughs> I got no problem with going on the floor and shooting around. I try to do the same thing. What I don't like is that he then hangs around the area, and he's signing autographs, pretending to be Clay Thompson. Yeah. And he's taking photos with these fans. If you watch the video, these fans are excited. They think they're meeting their favorite player, and he's pretending to be Clay, And he's doing interviews. Right. Which, by the way, if I'm Clay Thompson, I'm like, well, you're going to make me look bad. <laughs> Don't do any interviews pretending to be me.
4: He also, like, when you look at him, doesn't really look no. a ton like Clay Thompson. So, and it's a slight because Clay Thompson's a good looking fella, as we know. And this guy, I mean, they, they don't even remotely look close.
3: I agree with you. That's why he keeps the hood up because yeah. it helps him disguise a little better. He looks like Clay Thompson if Clay Thompson had a peanut allergy and just ate a handful of planters. Uh, right? He looks a little puffy, like a puffy version of Clay Thompson. He looks like Clay Thompson if the Warriors played on the equator. Um, Uh, But I don't like that idea. He's signing people's jerseys and shirts and hats, and they think they just met Clay Thompson. Instead, they have some random guy signing their stuff. So I don't like the idea of pretending to be Clay as you walk around the area for your little social media video or just because you love, like, the attention from the Warriors fans who are excited to see you thinking you're Clay Thompson. I don't like that idea. You want to go inside, you want to fool the Warriors and go on the floor and shoot around? I got no problem with that. That's a victimless crime. The Warriors are no victim in that situation when you're fooling other warriors fans to think if they're thinking that they just met clay and you signed their clay thompson jersey with your nonsense i think that's garbage so i think this guy i mean get a life stop pretending to be clay thompson and do something for yourself instead but with all that said would you accept? Would you take that trade—a lifetime ban—to be able to shoot ten minutes on an NBA floor?
4: Absolutely not. Uh, absolutely no. not. No, I, no, I, I don't think so. Look, I, I understand that it would probably be one of the cooler experiences of my life. Let's say just to go to the Heat stadium and uh, and shoot some balls around. Yeah, that'd be it'd be fun. But no, I'd much rather go sit at the game. And he said he had, you know lost ten grand on these tickets, yeah. so he had good seats. There's no doubt about it. No, I wouldn't give it up. Also for the financials, would not give it up, Luke.
3: Well, that's true. I don't think it's worth ten. I wouldn't pay. You're essentially paying ten thousand dollars to go shoot on the floor. I wouldn't do that.
4: Well, I mean, but if somebody came to you, Luke, and said, "If you want to go shoot at MSG," 30 minutes you know with the Knicks floor and everything and you but you'll never be allowed to come back to a you know a Knicks game ever again would you do
3: so absolutely wow and I grew up going to MSG not just really we would go to uh the Big East tournament there every year UConn plays uh, at MSG yeah so it'd be like a double whammy oh abs- MSG that's like the Mecca you tell me I could shoot around for 10 minutes uh on the floor of MSG for sure You never have to let me in again for a concert or a a performance or a game. I'll take that trade. Go shoot around. Um, Also, you know, it also part of it, too, is that uh, I live far away now. I don't go to any – how often do I go to Madison Square Garden? I haven't been in a while. You know, the one I would probably – the one that would be the hardest for me would probably be like Fenway as a Red Sox fan. If they told you, hey, you could take batting practice uh, on the field at Fenway Park, but you can never come to Fenway Park again. That one I'd probably turn down. Like an NBA arena, probably an NFL arena, or even if you want to say like college football, you go catch passes on the field. But you can never go to yeah. I'd probably do all that stuff. I don't care. I like watching games from home, anyways. Unless it's baseball, right? I I, I would love. I, I miss going to Fenway Park, being uh, away from uh, Boston these days. That's the one I'd probably say no to. Everything else, fair game. I'm going out there, taking some hacks, taking some shots, throwing a football around on on uh, Lambeau Field. Wherever it may be.
4: Well, that, you know, if I could go out and catch a pass from AR-12, you, you know, in Lambeau Field and then get immediately banned, yeah, I'd pro- <laughs> I pr- I probably do so. I'd That'd probably
3: be worth do it. so. And then I always wonder, how do they impu- – now, in this case, you know, it's the guy that looks like Clay Thompson. So he's probably going to stick out like a sore thumb if he tries to enter the building again. But a general lifetime ban, I've been told before that it's more about, like, the name on the when you try to use a credit card to buy tickets.
4: Ah, okay, okay.
3: That they keep you from doing that. Because otherwise, how would they know if that guy shows up? Well, again, this guy looks like Clay Thompson, so he sticks out. But a random guy shows up. Uh, oh, you know what? That Ranger, You may have saw the video of the Rangers fan at uh, Madison Square Garden. Sucker punching a Lightning fan the other night after the hockey game. And he got arrested. MSG banned him from life. Like, if he shows up to a game two years from now, are they really going to know? Like, wait a minute, you're not allowed to come in here. How could these security guards know?
4: Hey, I don't know, Luke, but you got to think about uh, the Chase Center being in San Francisco. That's out there with Silicon Valley and Google and everything, so they probably have some Mm -hmm, facial recognition and things of that nature when you walk in, so they can red flag it, sirens go off, things of that nature. I don't know. Technology's crazy nowadays, especially with Google right now, as as you and I have talked about.
3: Yeah, that's true. That's a fair point. Maybe this will uh, force him to give up this whole Clay Thompson shtick and uh, get a haircut. And uh, stop trying to pretend to be Clay Thompson. You want to go out on the floor, shoot around, fine with me. I don't like the idea of walking around the stadium afterwards and fooling a bunch of people that they just met Clay Thompson. I think that's silly. Uh, and I think it's also a little weird to pretend to be somebody like that uh, for, like, the attention and the fame. But that's just me. I don't know. I'm not a YouTube star, so what do I know? 843 uh, 721 to join the conversation. Let's go to the phones. Ricardo is with us. Ricardo, what's going on? How are you? Good. You see the hustle? You see my brother and my... Nephew in Hustle? Yeah, uh, your nephew. I didn't notice your, your brother was in it. Yeah, he was in the scene where they were in the court
7: showing the players. He, he oh. just had a cameo. He said he was there like 4 in the morning to like huh. 6 taking that shot. But he was texting me, oh, bro, I'm in it. I said, well, you're next Denzel Washington now. But <laughs> so my nephew was in it, yeah. so he looked pretty good.
3: Yeah, he was in it
7: quite a bit. Yeah, he gets married in Palm Springs in August. But I haven't got my invite yet, so ah. hopefully I'll get one.
3: Ah, Jeez, yeah.
7: <laughs> but anyway, real quick, um yeah, I got an t- opportunity, you know, when my nephew played for Providence and they won the championship a few years ago at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. You know, I came early and went down and shot at the garden.
3: It's nice, but it ain't all that. Ah, you know, you it's the Mecca. Out. Where would you, you rather know? shoot where would you rather shoot than MSG? Yeah, no no Mecca, the Mecca. MSG is the Mecca. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was awesome.
7: <clears throat> that was awesome. But, you know, I've been on the the one thing we got thrown out of the Jets locker room. I went in there to look for a player. He was signing a deal. And they let us in the locker room and the security came. But I never, when I was in that locker room with the green jerseys and the helmets, I'm going to tell you that was awe. I was in awe.
10: <laughs>
3: that was
7: sent chills through me. Really.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I bet.
7: That was, yeah, that was when they remember they were uh, in Hofstra University. I think they used to train that.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah,
7: yeah. But um, real quick on the playoffs, I don't know what's going on. One game, Boston wins. One game, they lose. Is this just the NBA trying to stretch this out? I mean, the referee, Tony Brown, got in a big, um, you know, the coach, they had a, something going on in that game. He got a tag. I just think the NBA is just milking this
3: because
7: Boston is really the best team.
3: Uh, I think I think the Warriors have been – I think the Warriors look as the better team. And I don't, I've seen a lot of these theories thrown around about the NBA stretching this out. Uh, I think it's just the whole postseason has been, like, has been like this. It has been an unpredictable playoffs and series in terms of one game to the next. But I think a lot of the variance also just ranges on uh, three-point shooting with these teams and how inconsistent that can be. And in regards to the Celtics, just how young they are, and then I don't think they have a clear star – and that's part of the problem why they seem to be so inconsistent, that they don't have a Tatum to rely on. They turn it over way too much. they got a bunch of young ball handlers. And uh, you just can't rely on the Celtics to be consistently good against a team like Golden State in the finals. Yeah, well, they better
7: get it this year because Milwaukee's coming back. Philly's going to straighten that out. And uh, Brooklyn, too. So it's next year is going to be rough. But what I'm thinking is Clay's getting older, Steph is older, and Draymond looks terrible. Besides defense, he can't score a shot. So I think I, – I don't know. I don't know. I don't see see the Warriors back next year.
3: Yeah, they got this is their opportunity to get it done as well. Appreciate it, Ricardo, because, uh, yeah, as you said, I mean, these guys are going to continue to get older. And uh, also the West will be tough as well. I think the Mavericks, hopefully they continue to get better. Maybe the Suns will be right back there. The Nuggets should get healthier from this year. Um, the Lakers, LeBron obviously can never count out. The Clippers should be better with Kawhi coming back and Paul George. Uh, actually healthy next year so uh, for both these teams. I mean, it's so hard to get to a cha- I know the Warriors have made it look easy, and we've always had dynasties in the NBA, but it is hard to get to a championship, and so you have to take advantage. And for the Celtics, same idea. We assume because they're young and here they are that, like, oh, yeah, right, they'll be the next Warriors, but not necessarily. Don't take it for granted. The obvious comparison is always Dan Marino. You know, got to a Super Bowl in year two, and everybody thought, like, oh, that's okay. He didn't win this one. He'll have plenty more opportunities, and uh, he never got back. Uh, those were the comparisons we were making to uh, Patrick Mahomes when everybody was saying, you know, same idea, right? He'll, he'll have plenty of chances. Well, it's never guaranteed. So for the Celtics and the Warriors, difference being the Warriors have already won a bunch. But, yeah, both of them, right? If you're in the finals, you got to try to win this thing because there's no guarantee you'll get back anytime soon. I've heard a lot of people talk about this, about the NBA stretching out these series. I, I don't think there's anything to it. I think they have more. Um, I know you can make more money by a Game 7, but I think you have more to lose than actually to gain by doing something like that. Uh But I will say, right, the other joke is if Scott Foster is doing Game 6, maybe we will have a Game 7 to try to stretch this thing out. I just think that that's the modern NBA. Uh, I've given my reasons why throughout this postseason for the inconsistencies. I think a big part is because of how reliant teams are in threes. Injuries have also played a role. And in the case of this series in particular, uh, I think the Celtics just don't have that alpha star you could turn to to put the team on their back. And so one night Al Horford may step up, but, you know, that's not a true Al Horford representation. Uh, another night, maybe Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart. But these aren't guys that can consistently play well. They're more of role players. And also, the Celtics are just kind of young that, um, you know, they'll have 18 turnovers one game and eight the next. And that's a huge deciding factor in these games. They just they're, – they're too inconsistent, uh, maybe too young. They don't take uh, good enough care of the basketball. And I'll also say this. These are the two best defensive teams in the league this year based off of defensive rating. And when it comes down to defense sometimes, right, that could also lead to uglier basketball And it could lead to these more turnovers or more missed shots. Maybe you're not knocking down your shots. And uh, that could lead to the inconsistencies as well in offense. It's just that you're going up against a good defense and you're working hard. And sometimes your shots will fall. Other times they'll turn it over. I think the reason why Steph Curry struggled so much the other night was because of all the attention paid to him by the Celtics that they just kind of wiped him out of the game and let other guys, you know, play better. And uh, that's what, you know, you'll have ups and downs. These are good defensive teams that are going to make it tough on you. It's not easy to score 30 points every game against these teams. You'll have some good nights. You'll have some bad nights. We've seen some inconsistencies. Uh, But I do think the Warriors have been the better team. We'll see if they finish it off tomorrow. We opened the show talking about baseball and Clemson's new hire. You could go back and and find the full breakdown on demand. My my, um, quick summary would be I think Clemson on paper looks like they made a good move. Hiring Eric Backage from Michigan looks like a good hire. Who knows? We'll see if it works out. But I think there's three main reasons why he would come to Clemson from Michigan. Number one is money. Uh, Reports are he's going to get over a million. Number two is his first job was with Clemson. So, you know, there may be some emotional tie there. And number three, uh, I think maybe most importantly, is coming to this region of the country because northern teams don't win titles. He got close. He got Michigan to the 2019 national championship game, and then they lost to Vanderbilt, right, from this region. Uh, The majority of national champions in baseball are either from the West Coast or the South. There's not been a team from a cold climate to win a national championship in baseball really since Ohio State in the mid-60s. And the SEC and the ACC this year combined for 18 playoff teams, the Big Ten got two. So that's a big difference. That, you know, Michigan, it's a big brand. It's Michigan. They were in the national championship three years ago. He's done a good job there. You may think, like, why would you leave Michigan for Clemson? Michigan's been better of late than Clemson has but because there's a ceiling to Michigan. It's the same reason why Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU. Uh, there's a ceiling at these schools, and you got to be in the South if you want to win championships in football and now in baseball. The SEC, right, I mean, eight. we have eight teams remaining. Half of them are from one division in the SEC. The best team in baseball this year was in the SEC. Now, I know Clemson's not in the SEC. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm just talking about the South in general. Clemson's close enough. of college World Series teams are from 14 states. South Carolina is one of those states. This is where you have to be if you want to win win big in college baseball. You can coach at Michigan, make some good money, get some good players, win some games, but there's a ceiling. You're only going to go so far. They got close a couple years ago. They've been pretty much 500 cents. Here's a chance. They're going to give you a lot of money. You're going to be in the South. There's going to be more talented players. You could actually play home games. You'll have more fans at your games because of the warm weather. You'll make more money uh, as a program. You'll have a chance to succeed. So I think those are the reasons why you make a move like this. You leave the North and Michigan to come down to a Clemson because this is where you have to be if you want to win big. And the $1 million plus, not bad either. That doesn't hurt. When we come back, some dark horses, potential dark horses in college football. It's hard to come up with dark horses in college football because usually the favorites do actually win. But we'll try to come up with a few next. It's a more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
6: Attention campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
1: On the Morrow Midday Show...
3: It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luth Morrow on ESPN Radio. Coming up, potential dark horses in college football. I don't know if there'll be any when it comes to national championship contenders, but we'll try to come up with a few. Hey, last hour we were talking about uh, the Live Golf Tour in the U.S. Open this weekend. If you miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. But something that stood out to me was a behind-the-scenes video from this past weekend where Justin Thomas put on... A sock, a shoe, and then the other sock and shoe. That's out of order. You got to do socks first and then the shoes. Now, I appreciate P1 listener Lou bringing to our attention all in the family doing this bit way back when. I had no idea this was such a thing. Rob Reiner, uh, who I love, right? He's great in Wolf of, the Wall- Wolf of Wall Street as the father and uh good director. And he's, I, I love Rob. He uh, I watched an interview earlier during a commercial break where he said this is the scene he hears the most about from all in the family. to this day right like 50 years later this is what people talk to him the most about from the show and uh we'll play the clip in just a moment the scene in just a moment but he said it was uh ad-libbed he was getting ready for the scene and he says that's how he really gets dressed he puts his sock and then his shoe and then the other sock and shoe and the cast noticed that and were making fun of him so they put it into the show and they ad-libbed the scene of rob reiner doing it uh he acknowledged in the interview most people probably do sock sock then shoe shoe but he said more people put their footwear on, like Rob, more than you believe, with the sock, shoe, sock, shoe. Anyways, it's evidently a classic clip from all in the family as they break it down. And uh, I'm in agreement that you can't do sock, shoe, sock, shoe. Here's how it sounded on uh, the sitcom about, whatever, 50 years ago.
0: So you know that we don't catch that fishing boat. There ain't going to be no deep sea fish. You will have to stay on the dock with the old people here. Hold it, hold it, hold it. What are you doing here? Why? What about the other foot? There ain't no sock on it. I'll get to it. Don't you know that the whole world puts on a sock and a sock and a shoe and a shoe? I like to take care of one foot at a time. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. It's just as quick my way. Wait a minute, that ain't the prank. You see what I don't don't keep doing it, listen to me.
2: <laughs>
0: Suppose there's a fire in the house and you gotta rub right your life. Your way, all you got on is one shoe and a sock. My way, you got on a sock and a sock. You see, read? <laughs> Suppose it's raining or snowing outside. Your way, with a sock on each foot, my feet would get wet. My way, with a sock and a shoe on one foot, I could hop around and stay dry. I think you've been hopping around on your head. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Listen to me. Supposing yeah, the other sock's got a hole in it. it? doesn't have a hole in it. I said supposing right, it's got suppose a hole it. it has a hole. All right, it's got a hole in it. So, you ain't got another matching pair, so what do you got to do? Your way, you got to take off a whole shoe and a sock. <laughs> My way, all you got to do is take off one sock. All right, if i will make you happy, I'll start all over again. No, 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 you're halfway true. Now, no, gee, get on with it, we we're in no, a hurry. <laughs> You can start doing it the right way tomorrow morning. And do it that way for the rest of your life.
3: Yeah, it's true. That's the right way to do it. Sock, sock, shoe, shoe. Get out of here, Rob Reiner. With your sock and shoe. And Justin Thomas, that's funny. All in family uh, doing it uh, over 50 years. See, this is a bigger thing than uh, I even realized. But a lot of people with the same concerns over how Justin Thomas gets dressed. Do a sock, a sock, then a shoe, a shoe. Let's get that straight. Hey, potential dark horses in college football. Here's the thing with college football. When I say a dark horse, I mean like a playoff team that could compete for the national championship this year. The problem with college football, as we know, is that it's been far too predictable. In fact, 16 of the last 18 national champions in college football finish top three in recruiting the year they won the national championship. 16 of the last 18. So most years we can boil it down to three teams. Who would those three teams be this year? Well, the three teams that finish in the top we know because of all the drama this offseason. Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. So three SEC teams. History tells us that most likely the national champion will come from one of those three schools. Alabama and Georgia were just there. Texas a and trying to break through. Ohio State is the other one that, if we're talking top favorites, Ohio State would replace Texas A&M. The three big favorites in Vegas, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia. Clemson is fourth, but there's still a pretty sizable gap between Clemson and them. Those are the teams you're probably looking at. And, again, history tells us the national champion will probably be one of those three SEC schools, 16 of the last 18 national champions. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I also think it speaks to a longer track record of getting the the, the best players. 16 of the last 18 national champions had a top three recruiting class the same year they won. So Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M. If we were to try to come up with some sort of dark horse candidate from the other conferences, Outside of those schools I just mentioned. Throw in Ohio State as well. And if you want, we can include Clemson, right? Clemson wouldn't be a dark horse. I also don't know if USC would be a dark horse in the Pac-12 because the hype on them is pretty real. But I would say instead, Utah is a team that I've been talking about. Haven't made the playoff yet. Came close a few years ago. They were in the Rose Bowl last year. I'm hyping up Utah all offseason. Probably be disappointed this fall. But I think Utah would be the team out of the Pac-12. In the SEC, I would say Arkansas. I just told you about three other SEC teams. Behind them, uh, my other choice would be Arkansas, and I probably honestly would put Arkansas ahead of Texas A&M if I was uh, taking odds. And I don't know what the odds are, their national championship odds are, A&M versus Arkansas, but I would put Arkansas ahead of Texas A&M. Now, what's interesting is that Arkansas has only the fifth best odds to win their own division. That's how good the SEC is. That's how good Arkansas' schedule is, which is my biggest concern for them. They'll be a top team in college football this year, and yet – Vegas expects them to finish maybe 5th in the in their uh, vision, their division of the SEC. So, you know, you got Ole Miss, you got Texas A&M, you got uh, uh, Alabama and uh, even like an LSU will be tough this year. That is a tough division. So, um Arkansas I think will be really good, but they have a tough schedule. In the ACC, Miami would probably be less of a dark horse, so I would say NC State, who I've also been hyping up this offseason. And I think behind Clemson, NC State is the next best team in that conference. And I'll use my same talking points. They have the most continuity in the conference. they got a good quarterback who's coming back. They have experienced coaching staff. They have the number two defense behind Clemson last year in the conference. And the majority of the defense is coming back. There's a lot to like about NC State. Now the concern, just like Utah, is they're kind of have to going to break through that ceiling that there's been under this coaching staff. In order for them to win the ACC or make the playoff, Dave Doran's going to have to accomplish some things he, he hasn't before. Can you accomplish that at an NC State? Can Utah be a playoff team? Since joining the Pac-12, they've always had at least three losses. All right? So they're going to need to have their best year ever since joining the Pac-12. Then elsewhere, in the Big 12, I'd probably say Baylor. Right? Everyone's going to focus on Texas. Texas is the flavor of the month. Uh, Oklahoma, of course, big brand. They've been to the playoff before. Baylor got really close, won the conference last year. I think they may be the best team in the conference again this year. So in the... Um, in the Big 12, I would say Baylor. Uh, I think they also uh, they lost half their de- half their uh, I think half their defense to the NFL draft, but they'll probably be the best line team in the conference. Have the best offensive line and defensive line in the Big 12. And then lastly, the Big Ten, right? Ohio State and Michigan. You cross off. You look at teams after them as some sort of dark horse. I don't know. The Big Ten a tough one for me. I think Minnesota is going to be a surprise team in the Big Ten, but not good enough to try to win a national championship this year maybe michigan state maybe you view them as a potential dark horse uh after what they did last year could they continue to climb and get to a point where they're winning national championships and then i think a popular one would be a penn state and i'm always very skeptical of penn state but they're bringing back their quarterback for what feels like uh the 15th year and um sean clifford is is very experienced he was injured a year ago and Penn State always has that feeling of, you know, just uh, we just need that quarterback. Um, I think Penn State, I guess, would be a dark horse. If you exclude your Ohio State, your Michigan, maybe even a Michigan State, maybe James Franklin p- finally puts it together at Penn State. They've had a couple of down years. They showed some flashes at the beginning of last year. Uh, you're going to have probably the most experienced quarterback in the conference. So uh, Big Ten, I guess I'd say Penn State. That's the one I probably feel the worst about. But otherwise, dark horse candidates... NC State, Baylor, Utah, Arkansas. Problem is, like I said, college football is usually very predictable, and history tells us, uh, at least based off of the last two decades, the national championship will probably be one of three SEC schools. Georgia, Alabama, Texas A&M, they actually have the best opportunity to go win this year. And I'd also throw in Ohio State as well. We'll get to Trent's takes when we come back. We were talking so much about the socks and shoe thing last hour, we couldn't get to, uh, get to his thoughts then. So we'll do it next before we wrap up a Wednesday. The Morrow Midday Show, right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke.
6: Attention, campers. Lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
1: On the Morrow Midday Show.
3: It's the Morrow Midday Show at Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. Great 90s band. Everclear. Uh, if you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. Usually midway through the afternoon, we find out what's on the mind of the producer. But we got so wrapped up in a very important conversation last hour about undershirts and how you get dressed in the morning and if you put your socks on before both of your two shoes. So anyways, it's time now. To find out what's on the mind of the producer, it's time for Trent's Takes.
1: What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer?
4: Draft Luke Morrow. That's Peter. right. It's time
1: for Trent's takes.
4: The radio cowboy will be coming and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, I hate to start off this uh, illustrious segment with some bad news, Uh-oh. but we have to address it. As of today, it is time to say goodbye to Internet Explorer. So apparently Microsoft will no longer support the once dominant browser that faded away. Users found faster, less crash alternatives obviously google chrome things of that nature but what a run internet explorer had obviously in the early days of the computer and of the internet as a whole it is official this makes me feel old luke and i'm not old by whatsoever but this makes me feel a little old but internet explorer is out google chrome everything else is in i'm just wondering when a uh i can't mozilla firefox when it, when is mozilla firefox gonna be uh the next one to go and who will follow we have no idea but the internet explorer a tip of the cap we appreciate what you did for the world
3: yeah they were like the original and that's all you use for a while then all the competitors came along and like everything else started to do it better internet explorer is trash i haven't used that thing in years so it's time to put it down uh i used to be a big firefox guy i haven't used firefox in a long time either Google Chrome. Yeah, that's it. Uh, that's, where, that's where it's at. Big Google Chrome guy, so I'm I'm all good there.
4: Yeah, Google Chrome's the best uh, just because, you, you know, you got all your passwords on there, everything's saved. If you have one of these fancy schmancy computers, you can use the Touch ID to get into any of the passwords. Ooh. It's absolutely awesome. That's why I got the computer. It's great, Luke. So, yeah, but... You know, Internet Explorer, tip of the cap. We appreciate your uh, service to the world. Thank you very much. Now, Luke, I know that the Avalanche, obviously game one of the uh, Stanley Cup finals is tonight. Who will take home Lord Stanley? I think it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal series. Hopefully it goes seven games because Colorado's been sweeping everybody in the playoffs here, but hopefully it goes to seven games. I understand that there is a connection, a Charleston connection with the Avalanche. I'm blanking on the gentleman's name. Scotty Eisberg talks about it a lot. Shout out Scotty. But, Luke, never doubt the heart of a champion. I know the Colorado Avalanche have been resting, obviously, for about two weeks now while Tampa Bay was finishing up their series against the Rangers. But Tampa Bay is the back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. I never doubt the heart of a champion. So, tonight, Luke, my one pick, Tampa Bay Lightning money line. They're a -a one-and-a-half point underdog. I'm taking them plus 135 at the game one. Goes to the back-to-back champs. Never doubt the heart of a champion, Luke Morrow.
3: Wow, I like it. Here we go. We'll see if we get our first pete in uh, professional sports here in 20 years. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the uh, coach of the Avalanche, Jared Bednard, played for um, uh, the Stingrays. And uh, I think was also a coach, right, for the Stingrays yeah. before working up. So uh, so we're wishing him luck. However, not tonight. No. Let's go underdogs. Hopefully the Lightning Get it done tonight. Should be an interesting series because, yeah, the avalanche have been rolling through everyone. They've had a great offense, and then you have this interesting storyline of a team going for a three-peat for the first time in 40 years. So hopefully it's a fun uh, Stanley Cup Finals.
4: I would love to see a team go three. I I mean, I think that'd be really cool. Obviously, we want parity and everything, but as far as – we could really start talking about sports dynasties, you know, with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. I mean, that they're in the conversation if they win three in a row with the Bulls, with, with the Warriors, with the Patriots, with everything. We have to start talking about them in that light. So good luck to the Avalanche and the Lightning. But it's the Lightning tonight, Luke. I feel very good about it. Definitely going to be locked in, ready to go to see the boys, you know, rolling. Hopefully Lightning don't have cement in their skates because, you know, coming off a long road trip in New York, Tampa, all that stuff could be very difficult. Going out to altitude to a play in uh, play in Denver is going to be a little interesting, but we shall see. Also, did you know Stan Kroenke he owns the Colorado Avalanche? Did you see that at the top of the stadium he has his own private helipad at the top of their arena? Wow! Own private helipad. Right under the helipad is his condo. So he stays in a condo the day of the game, takes an elevator down to his owner's suite. What a life Stan Kroenke lives. I mean, it's absolutely unbelievable. And shout out to him for also marrying into the Walmart family. So they're going to have unlimited money forever, Luke. A couple U.S. Open bets I like. I'd like to throw these out there a little bit. Obviously, I mentioned Dustin Johnson and Phil Mickelson. But some real true bets that I really would enjoy seeing happen Cam Smith, he's been finishing, it seems like, in top tens in every single tournament. Made a good run at the Masters uh, near Sh- Scotty Scheffler. Feels like he's been in the top 10 for about the last month or so right now, Luke. I like him a lot at plus 2,000. I also like Dustin Johnson at plus 4,000. Coming off a wedding weekend, one of the best times of your life. Brooks Kepka is my best bet for the U S wow. plus Open 5,000. He's in a good mood. He's happy. He's feeling good. And he also might go to the live golf tour. So if you can win the U S open right now, get a major championship. I already know. He, I know he has a couple of them, but get another major championship and then go over and play in the live probably what brooks kepka is going to end up doing but my best bet brooks kepka plus plus five thousand, and i mean i like cam smith at plus plus two thousand because the australians just been playing absolutely phenomenal golf over the last couple months it seems like
3: yeah yeah he has brooks kepka uh i'm a i'm a brooks guy so i like it and i do think he'll be one of the next to head over there to the live golf tour he had some comments i think it was yesterday or earlier this week where he was trying to brush away that subject and not talk about it because maybe he's soon to be joining his brother. Made the move, and also we know Brooks. He o- he loves the majors. He only plays well at the majors. He doesn't care about the other events, anyways. So if he could go play for Live Golf and still play in the majors, that's all he needs while getting guaranteed money to live that lavish lifestyle. Him and his now wife seem to enjoy. Yeah, I think Brooks Koepka is soon to join the Live Golf Tour. Let's see how he do uh, how he does this weekend. I'm a Brooks guy, so I'll be pulling yeah. for him. I hope you're right. I hope you win the bet, uh, and uh, we'll see how he does this weekend.
4: No doubt. And by the way, their wedding was in Turks and Caicos, I believe. Uh, which, yeah? I mean, that is not cheap. I saw a little video of it today. They were uh, they were having a good time. Luda performed. I mean, if Luda performs, that's at least 20 grand to get Luda to come to the wedding out in Turks and Caicos. You got to think room and board as well. I mean, what are we even doing here? That's a lot, Luke. That's a lot. But good for Brooks. Hopefully, he can get the win. I really like him as well. 85 days, Luke, 85 days until NFL football. I can feel it in my bones. I can smell it in the air. Football's right around the corner. Gerald McCoy, who I absolutely love as an NFL player, was on the NFL Network yesterday, and he claimed that the uh, the New York Jets and Zach Wilson will win 10 games this coming season. No chance, in my opinion, that they will do so. So I looked at the odds and see what it's like for the Jets. If they win 10 games, what kind of value would you get? Now, Luke, I'm going to ask you this. What is more realistic for these teams to win 10 games? I'm going to give you three teams. Which team has the best chance to uh, win 10 games? The Jets at plus 700. The Jaguars, who have better odds than the Jets to win 10 games at plus 600, and the care our beloved, beloved Carolina Panthers at plus 1,000. Which team has the better chance of winning 10 games? Which is the best bet?
3: Man. Uh, none of them are great bets. No. I would say, I guess I would probably say Jacksonville. Now, I also picked Jacksonville to have, I think, like a winning season last year, and that was <laughs> a huge mistake. So, you know, once bitten, twice shy. But... I think the Jags, because the Jets, I do not buy into. There's a lot of hype around the Jets now this offseason. I don't understand it. I know they had a good offseason, but we don't know about the head coach. We don't know about the quarterback yet. The offensive coordinator too. There's still a lot of questions for the Jets, and that's a pretty you know it's a, t- a division that's gotten pretty tough yeah. in recent years. Um, Panthers, I'm out on. I don't know if they get Baker Mayfield, maybe they could try to win ten in a you know they could beat the Falcons twice, try to beat the Saints. The NFC's not great. But Jacksonville, like I said, I had high expectations for them last year, which in hindsight was a ridiculous thought. But now you get Doug Peterson. You get a coach who's actually an adult and knows what he's doing. I think that's going to help Trevor Lawrence. We've seen some quarterbacks take a a step forward in uh, year number two. It's a bad division for the most part. If I had to pick my poison, I guess I'd say the Jaguars take that big of a leap forward that they go from the first overall pick to winning 10 games this year.
4: Yeah, and also I, I, it's, I find it very, very fascinating with the Jets talk because are we just forgetting about the division that they're in? I mean, they have the Super Bowl favorites being the Buffalo Bills. You have the New England Patriots, who absolutely Bill Belichick has dominated the Jets over his tenure with the Patriots. We all know that. Think about that logically, Jets fans. Jeremy Shilling, uh, perfect example. Are you, do you really believe that you can beat Miami twice, you can beat uh, Buffalo twice, and New England twice? I think if you break it down like that, there's no way. Now, Luke, on the flip side, if you said with Jacksonville, can you beat the Colts twice? Can you beat the Texans twice? Yes, probably. And can you beat the Titans uh, twice? I think they can split those. So yeah, I would agree with you that the Jags have a much better chance. I'm high on Miami, so that may be why I'm like shying away from the Jets, but you still have Bill Belichick in the division. Right. You still have the Super Bowl you know, favorites that Being the Buffalo Bills in the division. So I think there is zero chance, zero chance that Jets get anywhere near winning 10 games this season. I also don't – what did Zach Wilson show last year to you, Luke, that made it seem like he is a true blue top 15 starter in the NFL. Look, I understand that he doesn't have a lot of weapons around him, and that definitely matters in the NFL. But at the same time, is it just the big arm that we're looking at? I mean, we saw Patrick Mahomes in one game in his rookie season, looked pretty good, and then he came in, obviously, the next season, won a Super Bowl and an MVP. Can Zach Wilson do the same? I think a lot of people are saying, oh, who's going to be this year's Bengals? There has to be this year's Bengals. I don't think there will be this year's Bengals. I think the good teams are going to make it. The Bengals were a good team last year. And we all, you know, didn't really know it up until about week six, week seven when they started winning games. But I just don't understand where people are looking at the Jets and their division and Zach Wilson and saying, oh, it's a playoff team. No yeah. doubt about it. Where is that logic coming from? I don't understand it.
3: I think a lot of times we just get excited by teams that make moves in the offseason and then, like, forget about the other pieces. And <laughs> yeah. they're just making moves. If they're active, we are like, oh, this team's going to be really good. But you forget that, yeah, they have a pro- unproven head coach, quarterback, offensive coordinator. Like these are three of the most important things. Offensive line still isn't great; it's better. Um, uh, Zach Wilson, though, yeah, I didn't see enough. For, he did get better as the year went on. Doesn't mean he played well, but he did play better the second half of the year than the first half. He had only one turnover the last six games. Uh, still, only completed like half his passes. Uh, that's the big thing: is the quarterbacks. You cannot win your division if you have the worst quarterback in the division, or in this case, you know, win ten games be a playoff team. So if you look at these three quarterbacks, Zach Wilson could be the second-best quarterback. He he has a chance yeah. to be better than Mac Jones and Tua. I, I don't agree. think that bar's too high. But that also could be a big if. That's if Zach Wilson takes a big step forward. I don't know if he has that in him. Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield could be the second-best quarterback in the division behind Tom Brady, maybe third behind Jameis. But Trevor Lawrence could be the best quarterback in the division If he becomes what everybody thought he would be, Mm. because Ryan Tannehill, all right, Trevor Lawrence should have a better career than Ryan Tannehill. Trevor Lawrence should be better than a thirty-eight-year-old Matt Ryan. And he certainly should be better than Davis Mills, who's like the sixth quarterback taken. So that's the other thing, too, that I think Trevor Lawrence has an opportunity to be the best quarterback in his division. And I don't think the other quarterbacks can say that.
4: No, Zach Wilson. I mean, you're not sniffing Josh Allen. Sorry no. about it. Like you, you'll never. I mean, he might. He might. It's year two of his career, but I don't think he'll be close to what the the production that Josh yeah. Allen brings. Also, you you bring up a very good point. There was did we really get skewed on Ryan Tannehill because the the first game, um, their first playoff game against the Bengals starts out with an interception Ooh. and ends with an interception to lose the game? I think. I always thought of him as, you know, a good quarterback, not a great quarterback, but now I'm like, are they going to start Malik Willis at some point during the year? Because that was, that was abysmal to watch. We all saw it happen. I mean, and they weren't good interceptions. There's a couple of no. interceptions where the defensive backs make a phenomenal play. And you kind of just kind of chalk. It's like any Ed Reed picked off a ball, it was kind of like, yeah, chalk it up. That's Ed Reed. Like, he he gets to the ball. But these were right at, you know, the Bengals defenders who have a very poor secondary. And he threw three picks in that game.
3: Yeah, or at least if it's like an arm punt. Right. He's right. taking a shot downfield. At least it changes field position. But, yeah, they, those, those were terrible interceptions. Tannehill is uh, – you know, it's the truck-trailer thing. He's certainly a trailer. He needs to be uh, carried by, like, a Derrick Henry to the finish line. And in the playoffs, he's kind of been exposed. He's been really good in the regular season. Uh, he was terrible against Cincinnati, wasn't great last year against the Ravens. And when they did make that run in 2019 to the conference championship, of course, uh, he, he had 15 completions total over the first two playoff wins. It was all Derrick Henry. So, yeah, there's a ceiling to uh, Ryan Tannehill. One of my best friends is a diehard Titans fan. And it's something that we have been arguing about for years. I've told them Tannehill is not good enough. And uh, after that Bengals game, he finally he texted me after that game, and he finally admitted, you know what? You're right. Ryan Tannehill's not the guy.
4: Yeah, I'm sure the fans were thinking that, right? Like, after that game, because they want to believe in him. And like you said, Derrick Henry makes that offense look very good. And A.J. Brown also made Ryan Tannehill look very good. You don't got A.J. Brown anymore, so uh, let's see. Let's see what you got. I mean, Traylon Burks, are we thinking that he's going to be an immediate replacement? The guy couldn't get through the first training camp workout. So, you know, we got to temper our expectations when it comes to Ryan Tannehill.
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah, and I think Titans fans, uh, as you, they had that weight reality check in the playoffs uh, last year. An Interesting question. By the way, we'll dive more into that tomorrow in terms of uh, bad teams becoming good this year and the potential next Bengals if there will be one this year. We'll do that on the show tomorrow. In the meantime, we'll wrap up your Wednesday next. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio.
1: Spend lunch with Luke.
6: Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it.
1: On the Morrow Midday Show.
3: Wrapping up your Wednesday and the Morrow Midday Show at Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcast. And don't forget, you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or a free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. And you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world through our app, ESPN Charleston, in the App Store. Download it today. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least 10 different states and multiple countries on this Wednesday. Plenty more to do uh, tomorrow. We'll dive into some more football stuff. And we'll also get ready for Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Do the Warriors finish it off tomorrow, or do we get a Game 7 on Father's Day? If you're a basketball fan and you're a father, right come Sunday, when the wife asks, like, what do you want to do for Father's Day? There you go. Sit around, watch the NBA Finals, and, uh, you know, have them uh, they bring you dinner or something. That's a good Father's Day, if you ask me. Oh, yeah. We'll see if we get Game 7. We'll uh, get ready for Game 6 tomorrow on the show. And whatever else pops up in the next few hours. In the meantime, if you miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However you listen to your podcast. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon. It's the More Midday Show on ESPN Radio.